Okay. I'd like to call to order the July 18th, 2019, Rock County Planning Commission. Sarah, if you'd be so kind as to call the roll. Okay, Steve Murphy. Yes. Kelly? Yes. Andrew Benjamin? Trevor Chair. Here. Daryl? Uh, Bill Norris? Here. Uh, Peter Flint, Roberta Marshall, Jeff Pettis. Present. Greg Yeager. Thank you, sir. We have a quorum. Uh, I'd also like to note that uh, Route County Commissioner Beth Melton is joining us at the head table this afternoon, evening. Welcome. Thank you. Um, bit of housekeeping, number one. I appreciate it if all cell phones are quieted, turned off, or whatever you to do. Number two, there should be a sign-up sheet floating about. Actually, I think it's done already. And then the last item on the agenda, because these proceedings are available to the public to monitor by telephone, it's kind of important that we use the microphones or get close to them when we're speaking. Thank you. Uh, public comment at this point in the evening. Anyone who wishes to address um, any of the commissioners on any <laughs> options or issues other than those on the agenda, <clears throat> now would be the time to do so. Hearing and seeing none, we'll move on to uh, the approval of the minutes. Minutes of June 6, 2019, Planning Commission. Any Corrections, additions, subtractions, modifications, or what have you. Hearing none, I'll entertain a motion. I move we approve the minutes as written. Second. Thank you, all those in favor. You signify by saying yes. 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 Those saying no, motion carries. And the minutes of June 20th, which I think sets a record for duration. Any corrections, comments? Additions, subtractions. Hearing none, I'll entertain a motion. So moved. Thank you, Jeff. Second. Thank you, Brian. All those in favor, please signify by saying yes. 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 All those opposed, say no. Motion carried. Minutes are approved. <coughs> so, item four. Items for discussion, Department of Local Affairs. A bit of background before we have... Um, our guests from the Department of Labor. Department of Local Affairs. I'm sorry, Local Affairs. I have labor on my mind. <laughs> um, just a bit of background and a little chronological history for the benefit of the commissioners and the public. Um, on January 3rd, 2019, if you recall, we had a meeting where the staff initiated um, a bit of a work session to consider and talk about amending the master plan, updating it, upgrading and what have you. That started the process. March 7th, 2019, we had a BCC and PC joint meeting. And if you recall, we spent a fair amount of time <coughs> focusing on the master plan number one. Staff had provided 14 items of discussion and consideration. Um, we also, at that meeting, both the BCC and the PC commissioners developed a consensus that all important to this process would be soliciting the comments from the public in terms of 
how they viewed the master plan, what they thought was good, what they thought was perhaps not good, or what have you. I know we also discussed our outreach program of 2016, I think, was it, for memory? Uh, moving on, on April 18th, we had a PC meeting during which we spent a fair amount of time, again, discussing updating the master plan. Um, staff did a nice job in providing responses and or comments on the action items that, were, that are included in the master plan. Um, and I'll also tell you my memory is that we spent a considerable amount of time debating the overall principle, uh, underlying principles of the master plan. And my memory is, not my memory, I know the consensus was that the underlying theme of the existing master plan remained relatively true, correct, and current, i.e., maintain the rural character of the county. On June 6th, uh, there was another discussion on uh, the continued, or a continued discussion on updating the master plan and focusing on the scope. More recently, at the direction of the Board of County Commissioners, a steering committee was formed for the purpose of, one, understanding what assistance may be available from the Department of Labor. <laughs> Department of Labor Affairs, sorry. You know that's going to happen again. No, I've dealt with them. You don't want to do that. Um, what talked about, or steering, uh, steering committee went on to um, be charged with responsibility of completing a grant application uh, for funding from DOLA. And then lastly was to discuss and agree on the role of a consultant, uh, which would include completing an RFP for consulting services deemed to be necessary and required. The steering committee consists of um, Commissioner Beth Melton, County Manager Tom Sullivan, Deputy Manager Dan Weinheimer, Chad Phillips, um, Troy Brookshire, and myself. The steering committee has met on June 28th, June 11th, and as recently as about four hours ago. Um, with that brief introduction in place, I'd like to start with um, introducing to you Andy Bill, who is the Director of Community Development for DOLA, and she will be speaking to us. And then preceding her will be Cindy DeGrone, who is the demographer from DOLA. See, if I get away from that Department of Labor, I'll just go. <laughs> so, Cindy, you're on. All right. First, thank you very much for having us. So, I do the population projections in DOLA, and one of the things that's very important to us is that our projections always reflect also what local plans are. And so I hope to continue a dialogue in terms of how those projections uh, are created. But just to start us off, one of, a few of the things I'd like to talk about tonight are uh, population growth, but the fact that that population growth is expected to slow sort of nationally and then in the state as well, sort of put routes growth in context. Talk about the jobs population age relationship Concentration of growth. This is the one new thing that's happened since 2010 that's very unique in the state in terms of population growth, and that has been that 95% of all growth to the state since 2010 has located along the front range. Uh, that's relative, that is new. Uh, and then migration, we'll talk about migration, and then also about aging. 
So it started off with the big picture. So in the U.S., the population reached 327.2 million. That was an increase of 2.2 million, or about 0.6%. That's the lowest growth in the U.S. population since 1974. And it's the slowest growth that the U.S. population has had since the 1930s. And we'll talk a lot about why that is, and it's mainly due to aging, but that our expectation is that that growth is going to continue to slow. Uh, Colorado reached 5.7 million. That ranked the seventh fastest in the state with about 1.4%. Colorado tends to grow at twice the national average, and so we continue to do that. We were eighth in terms of total growth, and when you think about the fact that Colorado is about 1.7% of the U.S. population, that's pretty impressive that we were eighth. Um, however, growth in Colorado has been and continues to be quite disparate across the state. So our largest growth county was El Paso County, where Colorado Springs is located, grew uh, to just under 13,000 people that year. And then our slowest, our biggest loss was Pitkin County, lost 60 persons that same year. Route uh, grew 391, and if we look at the average growth in Route County since 2010, it's been about 300 persons per year. This is a map of that growth. All the counties in red, orange, or yellow grew in terms of population from 2010 to 2018, and then all counties in gray or blue actually declined in population. And so you can see just how disparate that growth has been, and again, 95% of all growth in the state locating along the front range since 2010. So if we were to look from 2000 to 2018, United States, Colorado, and Route County's population. Route County grew from 20,000 in the year 2000 to 25,680. You can see Route County's growth outpaced that of, uh, most recently, has outpaced that of the state and of the nation as well, it, with the exception of the time period followed, just following the Great Recession. So the Western Slope went into the Great Recession a little bit later than the Front Range or the U.S. did in terms of that definition. Um, but Route County growing slower than Colorado as a whole from 2010 to 2015. So we'll look at why that was the case also. Um, but if we again look at Route County and the places within Route County that, and their growth from 2000 to 2018, we can see that about 50% of all the growth since 2000 in Route County has been in Steamboat Springs. 41.8% uh, of that growth in the unincorporated area Hayden at 6.7%, Oak Creek at 2.3%, and then at 0.7% of the growth that Route County's received since the year 2000. But to understand where we are, it's helpful sometimes to take a step back. And so this chart begins in 1970 and goes through 2018. Each bar on the chart represents the total population change in Colorado that year. And the bar is color-coded where the red part of the bar represents growth as a result of net migration, or those who moved into Colorado minus those who moved out. The blue part of the bar represents what we call natural increase, or burst minus deaths. And so you can see that in the 1970s, Colorado was an incredibly attractive place to move to. We had a significant job growth during that time. And if you think about who was moving here during that time, who was that young mobile population, they were the baby boomers. And so Colorado saw a significant increase in the baby boom population in the 1970s. That was followed by the natural resource bust of the late 1980s. And that's the only time period since 1970 that Colorado's had more persons moved out of the state than moved in. And then following that was 
sort of the growth of the 1990s. And for those of you who were here, this was the growth that was never going to end, of course, until it did. And it ended with the tech bust, which was very front range centric. And then I'm often asked the question, where on this chart is the Great Recession? And so Colorado continued to grow in terms of population all throughout the Great Recession, and for several good reasons. The first of which is that Colorado continued to enjoy a lower unemployment rate than the nation as a whole. In addition, um, Colorado, although we lost over 100,000 jobs in construction and manufacturing, we continued to grow jobs in health, business, and professional services. And so we... Those skills weren't necessarily transferable. There weren't better jobs for the folks who had lost their jobs in construction and manufacturing, giving it was a natural, a national recession. But we still needed folks to come in and take some of those professional and business service jobs. And then the strong growth we've received since. If we look at Route County now, starting in 1970, again going through 2018, we can see that 1970s was a strong growth period for Route County also, attracting many more migrants uh, to the county. Again, the strong growth of the 1990s, which was shared with Route as well. However, we do see that following the Great Recession, given the job growth, and in particular in construction that were lost in Route County, there were more persons who moved out of Route County that moved into Route County during that time. So we do see the population loss there. Um, one other point to note is that as we see those time periods like 1970 and 1990 where we saw the strong in-migrant growth, we also see a peak in that natural increase number. And that's the result of the burst that resulted from the young adults that moved here during those, those strong growth periods. But in terms of that migration to the state, if we go from 2010 to 2017, again, we can see just that centralization of that growth along the front range. And all the counties here in blue or gray actually having more persons moving out than moving in. Route County among those that gained population. But if we think about who the migrants are to Colorado, if in your head you picture somebody between the ages of 25 and 35, you're right most of the time. And so if we think about the aging population in Colorado, we actually have about net zero, about as many move in and move out of Colorado in those older age groups. And so the great majority are those young working age adults. And then if we look at Route County's profile, and this was Route County's profile between 2000 and 2010, but it looked very similar throughout the 90s and the 70s and the 80s. These profiles don't change very significantly. But you can see that that young adult population, the 25 to 35, is still the majority of folks who relocate to Route County. You can see the mirror of their children behind them. Uh, and again, in those older age groups, about a net zero. About as many uh, as move in, move out. But then what we also see on this chart, and that's very similar to other rural counties throughout Colorado, is those 18, 19, and 20 year olds that tend to move more move out of the county than move in. Oftentimes they're seeking educational opportunities outside of the county. But then no trouble bringing folks in at those older age groups. And so if we were to look at that natural components piece, so that blue part of the bar when we're looking at the components of change. Colorado bursts and deaths on this chart. The bursts are, are the blue line, and then the dashed is the projected burst in the future, and then the deaths are the red line and the projected deaths are the red dash line. And you can see the deaths continuing to increase in, in Colorado, as well as throughout the United States. And that's 
We are living longer. We do have longer life expectancy, but we have more persons in those older age groups subject to higher mortality. And so we do see that increase happening. When you look at the births, again, we saw that strong growth in the 1970s, which you see a peak in births following that, and then again after 1990. We do see increases in the births, mainly driven by the fact that we're, we are anticipating strong growth to this day right around 2025, which is actually when we're going to have that peak number of baby boomers leaving the labor force. And so we'll have some demand for folks to come in and replace them. Uh, in addition to whatever jobs we may be growing at the time. But as I talked about, both the U.S., Colorado, population is expected to slow, and that's really driven by the fact that those births minus deaths narrowing. And so we have a much lower population increase than we did prior to having a much higher share of our population in older age groups. So the other thing that's driving down that natural increase is the percent change in the birth rate. So this chart is birth rate by age of mother. So we've got our youngest mothers, 15, uh, up through age 40. And you can see that the only age groups that have experienced an increase in birth rates are those over the age of 30 from 2009 to 2017. So Colorado actually had the largest decline in teen childbearing of any state in the nation. Um, so the main reason for these declines is the widespread use and adoption of long-acting reversible birth but so Route County, when we look at Route County, we see a very similar trend with the increasing deaths as a result of having a much larger share of Route County's population within older age groups. In addition to increases in the, in the births, just because of a larger population, even though it's a slightly smaller fertility rate, but again, kind of that slowing growth as those two, num those two lines get a little bit closer together. Um, so a smaller number of that growth change happening as a result of natural increase. So when we look forward and we talk about doing our forecast, we start with an economic forecast, and we always put that forecast in a national and a state context. And we start with jobs. So when we think about Route County, we look at the national forecast. Well, when we think about Route County, what do we think about? We think about tourism, we think about national services, we think about agriculture. And so depending on what those forecasts are like for the nation and for the state as a whole, Route County is going to capture some of that job growth. And so that's how we do our job forecast. We then subtract out second and third job holders because they hold more than one and we just want one person to represent it. Subtract out commuters, which we'll look at that a little bit later. Um, but 40% of Route County's jobs are held by people who work outside of Route County. And that gives us a labor demand. And then we do our forecast for births and deaths, add in an assumption for net migration, multiply that times the labor force participation rate, we get a labor supply. So our whole goal is to make sure that that labor demand and labor supply are equivalent. So depending on areas of the state where we don't have a high enough labor supply for where we think the demand is going to be, we increase the net migration in those regions. And this is the reason why we do that model. Uh, this chart shows job growth within Route County in the yellow bars, and then net migration is the green line. And you can just see how highly correlated they are. With, with stronger job growth, you get more movers in. And we can see that in 2010, for Route County, if we take that five-year period that surrounded 2010, um, we did see some very minor job growth and basically a net zero net migration. So the story just being, as we grow jobs, we grow people. And so the same is true for this state as a whole. 
and this chart begins in 1980 for the state, but the point, and we see that discrepancy we talked about, right, about 2010, where we still had folks moved into the state, even though we had lost a lot of jobs. But as we move forward in the chart and we get to about 2025, you can see that our assumption is that we'll have many more net migrants than the level of new jobs that we have. And that's, again, that's the result of our aging population. And so as we have, 2025 is the year in which we have our peak leavers from the labor force. So we'll have our biggest increase in leavers in the state of Colorado. And just that we have enough people in the state who have had birthdays and they will be able to retire at that point. And so there are a lot of different assumptions that could change that number that include automation in jobs, allowing people to work a little bit longer. We do assume that folks continue to work longer. So since 2010, the only age groups where we've seen increases in the labor force participation rate have been persons over the age of 55. So we assume that that does continue. But that's what's causing the increases in our assumptions regarding that migration to the state and then to Route County as well. But when we look since the recession, if we take that start date in 2008, the dark purple line on this chart represents Colorado's employment change in metropolitan areas since the recession. And that light purple line at the bottom represents uh, the job change in non-metropolitan areas. And Route has followed this one actually quite closely. And so we're looking at, in 2017, Route had not yet quite recovered to the level of jobs that, that we had in 2008. But looking at this chart, you can see that the jobs peaked at just over 20,000 per route, about 2008, mainly construction job losses through 2010. And they have been continuing to, to grow, although construction's still down, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, but up to now, in, well, in 2018, exceeding that level of jobs uh, that existed in 2008, so at 20,400. But this chart, and this chart looks really busy, and so don't feel like you need to take it all in at, at one time. I'll, I'll point out what I think is important, but this is Route County employment change, so from 2008 to 2018, and it's by industry, and those industries are listed on the left. The chart's color-coded in terms of wages, and so the yellow bars or the orange colored bars are the lowest wage, the bottom third. The purple bars represent the mid-wage jobs and then the green bars represent the high-wage jobs. And what we see is that the number one increase in the employment change from 2008 to 2018 is state government. Uh, for the state of Colorado, it's health services. For Route County, it is also because that's actually Yampa Valley Medical Center. So Yampa Valley Medical Center is classified under state government. Um, as opposed to health services in this, since they merged with UC Health. So that is that number. Um, there's 542 employees at Yampa Valley Medical Center, and that, that was the largest part of that increase. And then we see arts, entertainment, and recreation. We see agriculture. We see real estate, accommodation, and food. So big tourism pieces on that increase. And then construction at the bottom. So employment is up 250 and that slide should say from 2015. So we did see it decline after 2008. It did increase after it bottomed out in 2015. And so we did see it increase 250 from 2015, but it's still down 1600 from that peak in 2008. Is that a statewide trend in the construction industry? It is. 
It is. It's the slowest one to come back and absolutely every, very similar to other rural areas. Within the metropolitan areas, we the structure's back at this point, but just back. So we're, we're still in that zero to where we were. We're not any higher than we were in 2008. It's still even with where we were in 2008. But along the western slope as a whole, that's very similar. And so again, as I mentioned, those base industries and base industries to us are those that drive growth and change in accounting. So when we think about it, it's those outside dollars that come in to the county. And we see tourism as the number one base industry in Route County, followed by retirees. And so if you think about it, a retiree earns their income and it's either saved from a different time period or it's social security or it's a pension, but it's not being earned within the county. And so one of the great things about retirees being a large part of your base industry is that they're basically recession proof because those dollars keep coming in regardless of what's happening elsewhere in the economy. Uh, followed by regional services, we see the other income is dividends, interest, and rent, agriculture, uh, and then government. But those definitely being the largest drivers within Route County. But as I mentioned earlier, Route County's commuters, so 40% of jobs within Route County are held by uh, persons who live outside of Route County. So they drive in each day to work or they, or they dial in each day to work. So you can see from this chart, 20% of those that come in from outside the county are from Moffat County. It's really Cray. And so many of them drive. But as you look down the list, you'll see a lot of places that are a little further away, and it's likely that they're teleworking into Route County. And so commuting via phone. Um, but you can see those, the light part of that circle are those that live in Route County, but that commute out. Uh, where those two circles meet, are the share of the folks that live and work in Route County, and then that dark part are the numbers who come into the county to work. And when we look at the forecast in change in the working age population, so in many places around the state, the labor force is really tight right now. And so finding those qualified workers for different jobs is, is tough. And I can just tell you that demographics is not gonna offer any relief that so as we are aging and we have a strong number of leavers from the labor force uh, that's going to just keep continue to make things tight uh, but we can see here that Broward County is expected to be one of the stronger growth in terms of the forecast change in the working age population we are assuming they do move into the county and so and also the, the age distribution the current age distribution of the county um, that will continue to grow but everywhere on this chart that's uh, the lightest colors of yellow and or gray, that's gray or white, I guess it looks white, uh, actually declining. And they will have fewer workers in 2025 than they have today. So that one, but just to think about Route County's age distribution. So this chart shows the age distribution of Route County by single year of age, starting at age zero, going through age 90. The dark black line is at age 65, and it's color-coded by generation. So hopefully everybody can find themselves on this chart. Uh, the lightest blue color on the right are the silent generation. So these were the persons born 1928 to 1945, and they were the babies of World War II and the Depression. And there just weren't very many of them. And so a very small generation that was followed then by the baby boom, born 1946 to 1964, and purple on this chart. 
Following the baby boom was the baby bust, which was later named the Gen Xers. They're in light green. And then after that, the largest generation currently in the United States and in Colorado today, the millennials. They're in the red and then cleverly named post-millennials after them. Um, but what we do see on this chart is that very large baby boomer generation aging into those same age groups that used to be held by the silent generation. And so just a much larger generation growing into those age groups. So Colorado is actually the third fastest aging state in the nation. And a lot of that is because we were, in 2010, so just eight years ago, the fourth youngest state in the nation. And we aren't anymore. We're probably the seventh youngest at this point. Just because we have that large share of baby boomers that moved in in the 70s, uh, and in Route County as well, aging into those older age groups. So we're aging rapidly. So if we were to look at that compared to some of the other age groups, the total population in Route County is expected to increase by about 13% between today and 2025. That youth population, again, with some of those lower fertility rates, only growing a little bit slower at 11%. Those entering the labor force at 24%, that includes our assumed migrants for some of those jobs. Uh, prime age workers growing at 16%. We see those older age workers actually declining, uh, losing about 8% in Route County. And that's, again, that's the result of those baby busters aging into that older age workforce and the baby boomers aging out of it. And so just a smaller number. And But we see the retired number on here, 75 to 84, growing at 65%. And then that long-term care population at 48%. And it's not our expectation that, well, the baby boomers won't be there in that long-term long care, long care population by 2025. That's actually just the result of long, increased longevity. We're living longer. And so we've got, and with each generation, we're living that much longer. Uh, and so we see those strong increases in those age groups where there used to be very few, but now there's quite a significant number. <clears throat> so again, aging fast because we're, we're young. So some of the impacts of that aging population include the labor force, just that tightening of the labor force, housing, these are mostly primarily homeowners, uh, downward pressure on income, I wouldn't be surprised if we're sort of at our peak household income in the nation. Just because we've got such a large share of the population moving into age groups that aren't, it isn't earned income anymore. They're spending down savings and we have track savings and some of those numbers. Uh, increases in, in disabilities, transportation, challenges, and then as well, public finance, downward pressure. So if we think about a household, so if we back up 20 years in Route County, what was the fastest growing age group? Now that it's 65 plus, it was the 45 to 64. And the 45 to 64, if you think about them, they're in their peak spending and their peak earning years. And so they're oftentimes buying goods as well. And so that's a boost in your public fiscal numbers, where when you've got a large share of the population moving into those older age groups, where they're not spending as much money on goods, they're spending it on services, and you also don't have payroll taxes. As a result, you've got a much larger share of your population that isn't contributing as highly the public finances they work on time in their lives. So this map depicts the total projected population change across the state. We're looking at 3 million more persons in the state of Colorado by 2050. And so Route's certainly getting a, a share of that. And that number closer, it's close to 10,000 is what we're anticipating between 2018 and 2015 um, for Route County. 
And of course, there are always risks to those forecasts. Uh, they're numerous, and you know we can't talk about a forecast, a population forecast in Colorado, without talking about water. Uh, some of the other issues, but I'm not sure. Are we going to do questions now, or do you want to go straight to you and then questions? How would you like? To do I thought maybe I'd entertain questions for you specifically now, simply because some of us, our heads get it's fresh. Thank you. So, with that thought in mind, commissioners, <coughs> any questions at this point? The big one I have is the water one. Threw up. I was one of your baby boomers that moved in in the seventies, so I'm here on the ground. But even at CU, they were talking about water in the early seventies, and here we are, forty odd years later, and the state is twice the size it was then, and headed for three million more. Is anyone figuring out how they're going to put it all together? Yes. I mean, certainly there are those those questions. So at the moment, we are working with folks. We have three counties in the state who have told us we are at a capacity for water. We don't have additional water. One of the biggest changes I made recently was to Arapahoe County. We had a, a pretty strong forecast there, and they said, Mm -mm. You'll have to take them out of Arapahoe and put them in Denver. Denver has the water we don't. And so what we have seen, though, is continued uh, conservation of water. And so we're actually using less water now per person than we were in the 1970s. Just certain, there are certain efficiencies that we've managed. Uh, and so some of that has happened. Some of that may still continue to happen. But certainly, we do have those conversations with the Colorado Water Conservation Board and others around the state who may tell us if different counties are at their limit and where that population limit is. So at the moment, that $3 million that we're forecasting, we do assume can be accommodated by our current water supply. Uh, you, just, you made an interesting statement. So you will tailor your demographic projections based on input from, let's say, a, a county that suggests that we don't think we can do that, and so then you'll adjust them accordingly? Absolutely. Interesting. Absolutely, because there are, just for an example, uh, in some of our communities, they will not at the, at the moment, and so it has to be something that's in place at the moment, not something you think you might do later, right. but don't allow growth and development in certain areas. And so if they don't allow it, it won't happen there. And so it's actually really important to us that you've reviewed our forecast and that we have a general understanding of what your plans are within the context of those population projections. Okay. Anybody else? Not, not quite, your statewide chart, sorry this is this has been an interest of mine for years, but your statewide chart with all the different counties are those general, and I didn't have a chance to look at all 50 odd counties, but are those general trends continuing? The ones that are declining or declining and have been for years, the ones that are increasing are increasing and have been for years? Some have switched. Uh, the largest reason for the decline, so certainly the southeastern part of the state is what I consider to be our most growth challenged area of the state, including some of the, the northwestern part of the state. And that is actually, at the moment, they have more deaths than births. So when we were looking at those natural increase slides, the deaths are exceeding births in those counties that 
The Eastern Plains is our oldest region in the state, while the Front Range and the Western Slope are much younger. And so what they're only growing as a result of a migrant moving in, and enough migrants to exceed the level that the deaths exceeded the, the uh, burst. So they not only need folks to move in just to keep their population stable, they would need even more than that to grow. And Weld County is one of our youngest counties in the state. And so just in terms of their age distribution, their births are still greatly exceeding their deaths. And so in terms of natural increase, they're growing significantly as well. They're also one of the more affordable locations along the front range. And so we see a lot of young families continue to locate within Weld County, which keeps the population larger. Where when we look at, say, a Jefferson County, which we still expect growth, just not as much, they will, they're one of the older counties, as is, say, uh, and then Mesa County, growing strongly on the western slope along with those along the I-70 corridor, and then La Plata County being one of those stronger growing on the, on the western slope as well. I don't know that this is protocol, but it's irrelevant. Cindy, do you have a problem taking questions from the public? And if so, I'd like to do that now, maybe. Oh, please. Anyone from the public? What impact, if any, do you see or change in energy sources having on, let's say, model shifting from coal to cleaner energy? So it's jobs. Um, jobs are the biggest impact as we, we do that. So certain counties where we see those job declines are absolutely have an impact. So just as we saw with construction declines, you do see more out-migration than in-migration into some regions. So some of the counties within the state, we certainly um, dealt with the fact that they have lost some population as a result of some of those changes in the in the job numbers. Can you stand up and maybe or speak louder? One of the two. Yeah. Sure, go for it. I just uh, the question that Mr. Warnke yes. asked about changing things. It, it needs to be empirical data that is provable. To be able to present to your office for you to consider making a change. Oh, absolutely, and it has to be in existence today. Okay. But so if there is, if there's a growth limit, if there is a limit on the water supply, if there is, we will absolutely incorporate that information. Okay. But, yes, but not your rights. Okay. Any other questions? Thank you, Cindy. Appreciate it. Andy? Okay. <clears throat> I asked Andy to um, do me a small favor, and that is to go to a slide at the back end or the end of her presentation, but I'm doing it for a reason. For the benefit of the commissioners, um, it strikes me that we are at a point where we need to focus singularly on what it is we want to do with the master plan in terms of enhancements, uh, changes, modifications, what have you. And to that extent, the slide that she's going to uh, present to us, I think it's bullet point number two, talks about plan for plan. And I think as we go through her presentation, we need to keep that plan for the plan concept in the backs of our heads. It may resonate a little bit more so when we say listen to the presentation. 
Okay. So now that I've stolen your thunder. No, no, that's perfect. Thank you for setting the context. Can everybody hear me okay? Um, so I'm Andy Hill. I worked for the Department of Local Affairs for going on a couple more than a decade. So it's kind of fun to come back to communities over time and see how things change. And I remember when Route was um, updating its plan years ago, and um, it, that was a kind of exciting time. There was a lot of growth happening, and so there was a lot of talk about the need for planning before we started getting it. And here we are kind of coming up against that again. So um, I, uh, I, I want to go ahead and just kind of give you a quick overview, and then we will launch into sort of that context setting for the discussion. Um, this is basically what I'm going to go over, just to kind of give you a quick sketch. I'll give some examples. We'll talk about some trends. Um, we can brainstorm a little bit together about public engagement, and then we can get into some of the nuts and bolts or mechanics. Um, before I get into that first slide, I just wanted to give you the quick commercial. Less for a commercial and more just to kind of tell you more if you don't already know about who DOLA is and what we do. Um, as far as planning support for local governments around the state. This is a local control state. Once in a while, I'll get a question from a citizen that somehow will wind its way and get to me, and they'll say, can you call, I'm, I'm gonna pick on you, they don't ask about you, but let's say they call and say, can you call Route County and tell them that they are just, I can't believe what they just passed. Did you see what they just approved? Can you call the governor and tell him to tell Route County to cut it out? You know, and it's just, then we have a nice long discussion about local control and um, the, the urgency that they have to get involved in their process, right? Like, get off the couch on the night of the bachelor or the bachelorette, go to your public meetings and hearings, and I'm sorry, I love to pick on that show. I really should. <laughs> I know a lot of people really love it. Um, and, and get involved, and so we have those conversations. But so that's kind of why it's a local control state. Um, how you plan is up to you and the community that you represent. So what we do is we provide technical and financial assistance and we tend to fund a lot of comprehensive plans and land use codes around the state. Um, in the office, the team that I work on, we focus on land use support, community economic development. We even run the Main Street program. I'm just going to do a quick shout out. Uh, Steamboat Springs Main Street program, does anyone here know about that program? You folks, okay. Um, there are only three communities in the state that are the highest performing tier uh, communities in that Main Street program, and Steamboat's one of them. So I, I stuck a little halo on their uh, cowboy hat there to just <coughs> give them a moment of uh, sunshine. So, anyway, kudos to them. Um, and then we have all kinds of resources for those of you, especially planning commissioners that want to spend some time um, surfing a little bit, we've got a bunch of resources on our website, including uh, how to work with consultants, um, uh, creating a comprehensive plan, and all kinds of other things on our website. Okay, so this is that slide that the chair was discussing. And this is, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of give you a quick overview. What are sort of the high-level steps to creating a comprehensive plan or to updating a comprehensive plan? Um, the first thing that uh, I think communities do that are, are really being thoughtful about it is they stop and just really be honest with themselves and each other about why. Why are you updating your comp? What's the driving force? What's the purpose? 
because you're going to have to convince people to get off the couch watching The Bachelor and come and get engaged in your process. So what's, what's the reason? And hopefully there's some reasons that are really compelling, and then that's why you're doing it. So Chad, you want to talk about sort of the driving force for uh, updating the plan, the, the current version of the plan? What, what was the driving force? Why did you want to create the plan? You know, there were a couple of grassroots, uh, well, one particular plan that was in place at that time, and they got the ball rolling, but it was mainly the addition of a possible ski area in Catamount, and um, basically uh, another reason was uh, the open space. I mean, there was a fear that our open space in Red Steamboat was, was going away. I remember hearing about that on the front range. That was a real concern. Um, and so, you know, what is it now? And how has that plan stood up over time? And what is in that plan that you've already accomplished that you can sort of check off? And what's yet to be done? And maybe what's changed? What's different? So coming up with um, sort of a plan for the plan is what we encourage. So why are you going to do it? What's the background? What's the context? What are, you know, as Cindy laid out, what are the trends? What are your projections? What's coming? What are the market forces that are going to be impacting you? And are you ready for all of that? And the plan is your opportunity to get ready for that and get everybody ready for that and to come up with your plan for how you're going to um, grow and develop and change over the years. So it's your vision. All right, so um, creating the plan for the plan. When you do this, and I, I'm sorry, I explained this earlier, you almost need a plan for how you're going to update your plan, right? It's not enough to say, all right, we're gonna do a plan, let's go hire some help. You need to really kind of figure out, all right, how much public engagement do we want? Uh, what kind of process and timeline? What are our constraints, financial time, uh, second homeowners that you wanna capture? All those kinds of things you wanna think about. Um, and, and maybe you even want to do some preliminary work. Maybe you want to survey the community and find out what are some of the issues, what are some of the values, what are some um, concerns that people have, uh, priorities that they have. That's very common to survey on. And so um, you may want to do some preliminary work. Some communities do a little bit of um, uh, visioning with stakeholder groups, things like that, to kind of get an idea of sort of the themes that their plan will have. And then they'll map out sort of a rough scope of work. In any case, it's a good, it's a good practice to spend a lot more time than you think you're gonna need developing your RFP, your request for proposals. That really communicates to all the consultants out there if you decide to um, hire a consultant. It communicates to them what your expectations are and um, what your expectations are and what the timeline's going to be and how much public engagement you want, things like that. Um, and then you go ahead and do your interviews, check references, of course, you create your detailed agreements, and you begin the process and make sure that you don't lose track of uh, the process, that you have check-ins, that you have um, opportunities to talk with uh, each other, um, the planning commission, to check in with the board of county commissioners, and also with the different stakeholder groups that you'll set up. So that's jumping ahead a little bit. Did you want to linger here for a minute and just sort of talk? Okay. No, I think you're good. Okay, so that's sort of the context of what you'll do to get started. 
But let's back up for a second and just cover a little bit more of the high-level overview about planning. Sorry, I'm back to you guys. Um, all right, so in the state statutes, there are really very few requirements for planning, but there are a few. Uh, cities and towns have to have a three-mile plan. Um, hopefully, they're working with you on that and consulting. You guys are supporting each other. Um, for counties, you have to have a master plan and a subdivision um, subdivision regulations. But for the most part, you're deciding um, which enabling authority in the statutes you choose to use to implement the plan that you have. So ideally, um, you start with a vision. You start with a master plan or a comprehensive plan. It's a chance to be really intentional about what it is you're going to do and how you're going to develop and grow over time. So you start with your vision document, and then you implement it using a variety of tools. And these are just some examples, but there are certainly many more. Your master plan or your comprehensive plan, um, just to pause for a moment, the state statutes refer to it as a master plan. Um, the state of practice has sort of evolved over time when people realize that a good master plan is comprehensive in its scope. And I think just maybe after a while, people just started calling it a comprehensive plan. In any case, most communities call it a comp plan. You can call it either, it doesn't matter. What's important is that scope of work and what it is you're trying to do and why. So your um, comprehensive plan is your community's vision, it's your roadmap. It, it communicates with the community and to the community uh, you know, what you want to the community to be like and feel like and look like in 20 years, let's say. Uh, most master plans are their advisory documents, and, and you don't really want to skip that step. There's, there's some real value in taking a moment just to um, create some, some vision for the future, not <coughs> just jump to the regulations or other tools that you think you need. It's good to be really thoughtful and intentional about what it is you're trying to do. A good comprehensive plan is going to be useful, and we'll talk a little bit about what makes a comp plan useful, at least in my opinion, for that. But a good comprehensive plan, you're going to bring it out and use it and check to see that you're still implementing that plan over time. You're going to use it to make all kinds of decisions, and I assume you already do with your current master plan. My guess is that you, that uh, master plan led to updates to your land use regulations so that your land use regulations implement the policies and the strategies that you put in your master plan. The same holds true for your update. It's going to give you some guidance on zone change requests, decisions about expanding infrastructure, all these different things, even your incentive programs. If you're going to use funding or resources to incentivize behavior, hopefully it's tied to some of the visions and goals and objectives that you talked about in your comprehensive plan. Typical plan elements, most communities, there is quite a bit of variety when it really gets down to the nuts and bolts, but most communities do have sort of standard elements, and the state statutes talk about this, and, and you can look at lots of different plans from other counties to get some ideas. The only one that's actually required is the element on recreation and tourism, and that's simply because of a bill that made it through the legislature. I mean, I think you can make a case for why all of these should be considered, at least as far as they are relevant to your county. 
but that that one is actually required. And I think you have almost all of these in your current plan. Not you might be missing one or two. These are just standard ones. There are others, of course. Um, and then you know a good plan. Once you've got your vision for the future, and you have all the goals that you have that you've heard from your community that you want to use to guide growth. What do you do? Okay, great. We want to maintain rural character, and we're going to do that. You know, you adopt a few policies that talk about how you're going to do that. Then you actually have to go do that, right? You, you use a variety of tools, some on this sheet you're probably already using now, um, to actually implement what you said was so important in your vision and your policies and your, your um, strategies. So let's talk about the statutes just for another minute. Um, the statutes on comprehensive plans are actually pretty helpful. They provide quite a bit of guidance. I think more than a lot of the other land use statutes. They give um, quite a bit of detail on all the different kinds of things you need to consider. They talk about how it's the duty of the Planning Commission to prepare and adopt the plan. Um, I want to say I think it's great that the Board of County Commissioners is so interested in, in lockstep with you because of what I tend to see that can be frustrating for Planning Commissions is sometimes the Board of County Commissioners likes to give the Planning Commission the job of the plan and they kind of distance themselves a little bit from it because they don't want the contract. And so um, then, the, let's say the Planning Commission proceeds and starts to develop the plan and engage the community and they get a draft and the Board of County Commissioners looks at it and they're like, oh, I don't really like that plan. That's a horrible place to be, right? You've spent six months to a year maybe getting to that point. You've had however many meetings that you couldn't watch The Bachelor. You've, you've had way too much cold pizza, whatever. And now you're realizing that the Planning Commission and the Board of County Commissioners aren't on the same page. That's not a good place to be. What I've often heard from some Planning Commissions is we wish the Board of County Commissioners was involved and engaged because at the end of the day, they're the ones that are going to make sure that we actually implement this. So I'm glad to see that you guys are working on it together. Um, the statutes, really, I think the state of planning practice has um, changed and grown over the years, way beyond how we envisioned it, even at this point, although it's really pretty, pretty thorough and pretty good. I mean, the, the minimum notice and adoption requirements most communities exceed that on just about everything really getting much more public engagement for a comprehensive plan than a couple of public hearings at the end right um, um, but it does talk about the, these requirements and that you um, give your recommendations for future development and it talks a little bit about you know what might be in your comprehensive or in your master plan is how it talks about it so you can see some of these different uh, elements here. Um, so why is it important to be comprehensive and not just focus on land use? I think you already know that because your current plan doesn't focus just on land use. It does talk about how housing is related and transportation is related and wildlife corridors are related to how we develop our communities. Um, and you know, Cindy talked I love this slide about the commuting um, figures because it really gives you an idea of what you living here already know. You, you feel it every day. 
Um, there are implications to how we develop our communities, um, both in our county, in our municipalities, and in neighboring counties and municipalities. And it impacts things like uh, the price of housing, how long I have to drive to get to work, or to get to a home I can um, qualify for, or the rent I can afford. It impacts um, whether or not I can ride my bike, or if I can walk to the store, all kinds of things that you already know. Land use um, that impacts air and water quality, traffic congestion, everything. So um, it is important to be comprehensive because it's all connected anyway. Um, and here are some of those things that we talked about already a little bit. Um, these are some of the kinds of issues that hopefully when you go through a comprehensive plan update, you'll be talking about. Certainly, land use development patterns, and I think um, Route County's been really careful and thoughtful about trying to be um, careful and thoughtful about how you develop so that you maintain sort of that rural character. Other counties have struggled with that, and then they get the kind of development that you see here that can, um, especially on a massive scale, can impact all of these things. Everyone else's uh, uh, levels of service, everyone else's drive time, whether or not my kid can ride their bike to school, I mean, all kinds of things, right? And so, um, you know, a good comprehensive plan, you're gonna dig into some of these issues again. It may feel like you just did, um, but it's good to remind everybody how these are connected, because you guys live in it, and so you understand. But most people don't think about it, they don't, you know, they're busy with their own lives. They're not thinking about the implications of development other than they don't want a big subdivision or a dense development right next to their home. So, uh, other long-range plans. Can you remind me, uh, Planning Commission, how many other plans you have as far as long-range plans? You have your sub-area plans, right? What other plans do you have? Do you have anything else? Uh, open lands plan or yeah that's really not active anymore but okay upper upper valley community plan the stagecoach plan and a small plan called the Sarge's Creek area plan. Oh, okay. so we got we got seven so very plans total. seven okay all right so those are good those give you a lot of guidance you also have a hazard mitigation plan we're really interested especially after all the floods and fires that we've had over the last 10 years we're really interested in that connection. You know, there's a whole group of people that do this hazard mitigation plan at the county level, and there's a whole other group that do the comprehensive and master plans. But clearly there's a connection between how we allow and develop uh, communities or development and the risk or vulnerability of those communities based on, um, you know, the hazards around them. And you guys talk about that quite a bit in your current master plan. And, and it, our hazard mitigation plans, the, the update process is being done. You're in it right now? Oh, great. So you'll get fresh data, updated data, that you can then use for your uh, master plan update, which would be great. Um, we're also very interested in the connection with land use and water. Um, that was brought up earlier. Uh, the Colorado Water Conservation Board and DOLA are partnering with a, an outside foundation to really pull together a bunch of different agencies and partners that are also interested in making sure we have enough water 
and not at the expense of ag land. Um, and um, so we're working on trying to help communities figure out how do you actually integrate uh, planning for water quality and quantity um, with your land use development and your, and your planning. And so we're offering all kinds of workshops and, and um, several day long workshops and we have one coming up. So if you're interested, if Rout wants to put together a team, there's one coming up in Estes in the fall. Just wanted to make that plug. All right, um, let's talk about trends. So some of the trends that, um, that I've been noticing, and actually I'm gonna take a minute to say that there are two other people here that might wanna jump in from time to time. I was gonna start off by saying Greg Garcia, our director, and Greg Winkler, our um, planner among planners and our regional manager. Um, they have a lot of experience, and so if you guys wanna jump in from time to time on trends or anything else, please do. Um, but what I at least am noticing is uh, a lot of communities are starting to really hear Cindy and her colleagues and some others and noticing that aging demographic and really kind of seeing some impacts about how their community is or isn't as ready as they were hoping to be for the aging demographic, bless you. And so um, they're starting to incorporate into their comprehensive plan they're also, uh, communities for a while now have been looking into connections with public health. Because of course, the way that we develop our communities influences um, how health in many different ways, including the most obvious ways of the built environment. How walkable, how many trails, how many recreation areas are close to where I live. Um, and the more you have that and the more accessible you make it, typically the healthier your community is. That even goes to things like um, you know, gardens with schools and you know, stuff like that. Um, we talked a little bit about hazards um, and water quality and quantity. Certainly communities have been including housing in their comp plans for a long time, but what I'm noticing is they're getting much more specific and maybe even taking additional steps to solve the problem. Almost, I think every community in the state is, is dealing with housing, affordable housing, or quality affordable housing. Um, and so they're really thinking about how can they incentivize it, how can they make it easier in their land use code for developers to, to offer affordable housing, to build affordable housing. Um, even businesses, a lot of communities are starting to think about, all right, where does it make sense for us to have businesses as a county? and how do we make it easier to get the, the kind of businesses that we lack or need. So we're seeing some of that too. Certainly for the larger goal of how do we diversify our economies, make them stronger and more resilient. Um, and some communities now are starting to really uh, think about, talk about social equity and how land use and some of the related factors that you guys are gonna look at impact that. Some best practices. Um, I think that the, the first thing I want to say is, with as far as best practices, seems really obvious, but it's surprising how many times you don't see it in a good comp plan. Um, a good comp plan is going to have a vision that means something, that, that gets people rallied, um, you know, that people are excited about, that reflects the culture of the community. And then they're going to have bold statements and policies that really say something, that say something specific. 
And then they're going to go the next step and they're going to say, all right, yes, we want, um, we want to maintain rural character and housing for all. That's a goal, maybe. And yes, one of our objectives is we want housing mostly in the municipalities or urban centers. And then they're going to go the next step and say, all right, as a county, what's our role in that? How do we um, further that or at least not get in the way of that? with that. And I think Routes actually has a really good understanding of those concepts, but um, just for an example. And so the more specific you can be in your comprehensive plan, the, the better. And for a lot of reasons. One, it, the more you engage your community and talk about the issues, the harder it's supposed to get. Because you're supposed to really dig into what some of those policies mean. And I'll talk, I'll, I'll throw some examples here in a minute. Um, but the more you do that, the, that helps you get to some more specific strategies that the community will support or won't. And that's good because at the end of the day, it's up to you guys to enforce your land use code. And you know, you definitely want to make sure you have support for land use regulations uh, before you adopt them. And the way to do that is to really talk it out with your community. Um, all right, the other thing I think really is helpful is some kind of implementation plan. You know, plans are really good about talking about policies and strategies, but at the end of the day, who's checking to make sure you actually do the things you said you wanted to do in your comp plan? So an implementation plan or an action plan of some kind um, just helps everybody stay organized and focused on getting that done, so I'll show you some examples. Um, and then, you know, there are some others here that we've already talked a little bit about, but um, let's get into some examples and that will be easier. Oh, uh, one more thing, I forgot about this slide. Okay, so plans that are useful um, really take time to think about not just how do we get people to participate, but how do we get more people and different people to participate than we usually do. So maybe just take a second and throw out for a minute. Who are the people that tend to come to your public hearings and your long-range planning meetings? Do you have certain groups that are more engaged than others? Businesses, <coughs> developers? The ones that have a plan. <laughs> individuals, individuals with the beef. Individuals that are next to the proposed development or that or have a particular part of our code that they don't like a lot. Right. Yeah. So those those people are really good to hear from so you can really nail down what is it that they agree with you on and where are the problems. Okay, so you get individuals. Um, I think we have I think we have trouble getting people in the public meetings and getting them engaged. Okay. And so, you know, that's one of the things that needs to be, I think, stressed is, is figuring out a way to get more community engagement. And then to add on to that, I think that um, also a good plan maybe has a, a communication strategy for letting the community know that this plan is available and out there. And that needs to be a part of the process. That's a good point. Thank you. Okay. Um, all right, well then I'll save this discussion for when we talk about public engagement. But um, 
the one last point I'll make on sort of best practices is the more specific you are, the more predictability and stability you give, both to um, developers and future applicants and the neighbors who don't like or the person who has the issue with your code or a policy that you have. And that makes for a little bit smoother, uh, smoother going. All right, so I'm gonna just throw out a few examples. Um, and not so much for the language in every case, but sometimes it's just the format, the approach. It's just a quick sampling to give you an idea of some of the stuff that's out there. How many of you have already started looking around at, on the web at other plans? Okay, all right. Um, all right, so I'm gonna talk first about uh, Gunnison County's uh, One Valley plan that they did. And I wanna be clear, this is actually not a comp plan or a master plan either. Uh, it had a very different intent and focus, more on economic development and, um, and prosperity. Um, but it acted very similarly to a comp plan. So I wanted to throw it in. Um, you know, they talked about different issues like economic resilience, making sure that everyone in the community is prospering. They talk about their challenges openly and they got specific about what they were gonna try to do about it, like support anchor institutions or support affordable and workforce housing development. And then when they get to affordable housing, they actually laid out key strategies that were actually quite specific. The other thing I like about it is format in a way that's easy to consume. It's easy to scan and read the parts that you're most interested in. It's really the only ones who are going to read the whole plan. Well, pretty much the only ones who are going to read the whole plan are in this room right now, right? Most people don't read your whole plan. They go straight to the parts that are important to them. So when you think about that a little bit when you're looking at it. Um, so they also address community health and equity. That was one of the trends that I mentioned. They've got some specific uh, strategies and things that they wanted to do. They talked about sustainable tourism and how they were gonna do that. And this is their example of how they laid out an action plan or an implementation plan. They got specific. They went back to all the things they said they were gonna do in this objectives column and they uh, ranked them by priority, said when they were gonna do them, short term or long term, and they talked about who was the lead and the, and the resources that they were going to use. Um, so that's a helpful way to sort of figure out are you taking on more than really the county and its partners can support, or is this going to you know, work long term? All right, Laplata County, just again, just to give you an example, what did they put in their plan? A lot of the same stuff we've been talking about. I don't think anything really stands out as um, very different. And then as appendices, they put in all their different sub-area plans, district plans. Um, one thing I'll pull out, they really tried to create that very detailed structure that I talked about as being so valuable. And they even define it right away at the beginning. Here's what your goals do. And under every goal, you should have lots of different objectives that meet that goal. And under every objective, you'll have policies that you want to adopt that are guiding policies like you have in your master plan now. And then specific tasks or strategies. You don't have to follow this verbiage or this approach, but the idea is good. You're being very specific about what you want to do and why and how you're going to actually do it. 
And here's an example under housing, what, how they sort of broke it down. Uh, San Miguel, again, very similar, but not the same layout. They really kind of went more issue and area specific. But again, they've got implementation, they've got some, some land use by area, and some different goals and objectives. And some nice introduction language that you can look at later if you're interested. Um, they even have goals and objectives by each sort of planning area, which I thought was helpful. <coughs> Larimer County just adopted theirs, and I haven't had a chance to really look at it yet, but I quick scanned it, and I'm glad I did. I think they're really implementing some, some pretty cool um, different approaches. It reads fairly easy, so like my husband could read it, and he doesn't care about planning speak. But he would read it and be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I get it. Um, not to bash on my husband now. Don't tell him I said that because I don't want him to get the wrong idea. Um, but they talk about being inclusive and, and community connectivity and what that means and how it means lots of different things. They even talk about the respondents for the citizen survey that they did and what the priorities for the county were going to be. And the part I really think is interesting is they're holding themselves super accountable by coming up with priority metrics. Not metrics on everything, just the big stuff. So for instance, the ratio, they're going to track over time the ratio of incorporated versus unincorporated in the county growth, which I think is great, especially since they've got a lot of language in, language in the plan about you know making sure that more urbanish level growth goes into the municipalities and not in the county. Well, the proof will be in the numbers over time. So I thought that was interesting doing that. And here are some examples. They they address water conservation and quality and natural hazards like they said they would. The other thing they made their plan pretty scannable um, for certain areas. So they kind of came up with this framework where in rural areas you can see very quickly what the county's expectations are. And when I say the county, I mean, remember, this is a comp plan. So it's not what the Board of County Commissioner's expectations are or the Planning Commission's expectations are. It's what the Board of County Commissioners and the Planning Commission heard from their community when they engaged the community in the comprehensive planning process. The comprehensive planning process is the planning. The actual plan is just a communication device telling everybody what you heard, right? Making sure it's clear to everyone what the community said. And so this kind of creates a format that makes that um, a little bit easier to scan. I threw Boulder County in at the risk of getting chased out of the room. Everyone loves to beat up on Boulder County. But I think it's interesting that their uh, you know, philosophy is growth should go to cities, ag lands protected, and preserve our natural resources. Very similar to your county and frankly a lot of other counties. Um, and so, you know, again, they've got a very similar kind of uh, structure for what that's worth. They address a lot of the same issues. Um, and there's some examples of transportation objectives, natural hazards, elements, things like that. Again, you're a county, I'm going to skip through. Um, they have some interesting language on um, uh, protecting uh, scenic vistas and things like that. Uh, I added one from outside Colorado because I think they did a really interesting job of focusing on their their um, sort of common values and sort of priority topics. 
Um, so they've got some nice layout that, again, makes it quick and easy to scan and get a good sense for what the county is going to support and um, give some good direction. The other thing I like about it is, um, you know, they, they really kind of break down planning in the, in the way of kind of the so what part that we forget sometimes. In planning, sometimes we just talk about here's our goals and here's you know here's what we're going to do to achieve it, and we don't talk about why it matters to people that maybe aren't living and breathing it all the time. So I like that they use this language. How are we going to actually achieve quality of life? It's so vague. So they really talk about all right, local workforce housing. Here's what we're going to do. Um, multimodal transportation. Here's what that means to us. And here's the principles that you can go back to and look at. Um, and they have little pullouts. I mean, this is a lot of just formatting, but also just kind of regular language in some cases. So there's some examples. Um, Adams County, I only threw theirs in because they have a different implementation um, tracking uh, structure. So just to give you an idea, there's a lot of different ways that you can create some kind of action plan or implementation plan to actually make sure you do what you said in your comp plan you want to do. Um, so there's some quick examples. Did, were there questions before I went on to the public engagement piece? Okay. So let's talk about public engagement because it is hard. Um, and you know there are a lot of experts on public engagement that you should consult. I'm not an expert on public engagement, but I will say is when I talk to different um, communities and and some consultants, it's not a lot has changed, frankly. I mean, certainly a lot has changed as far as social media, and it's more complicated now to sort of manage information. Um, but it still comes down to some fundamentals. It comes down to knowing your community, knowing your networks, and your stakeholder groups. Um, who are your residents? How do they get their information? That's a big one. Um, Figuring out how to engage people in sort of bite-sized ways that aren't so overwhelming. So it's not enough anymore to just have our draft comprehensive plan at the library and expect people to go to the library and look at it um, and give you feedback, or even to go online and read it and give you feedback. You have to figure out how you're going to um, get information and feedback in a way that's, that's meaningful. But again, the other thing I heard was, you still have to get out there and talk to people. You have to go to them. You have to go to their meetings. You have to go to uh, public events and things to, to really hear from people because a lot of people don't come to the county, to the public hearing or public meetings unless, like as was said earlier, they're angry about something or they think they're going to lose something. So let's get, some, get to some specifics. Again, this One Valley Prosperity Project in Gunnison, I think, did a lot of you know really um, interesting public engagement. They they had an amazing turnout um, <coughs> as far as how many people they engaged at fifteen hundred. But they took a variety of measures. They didn't. There was no magic bullet. They did everything. So they did the um, website, you know, special website just for the plan, which a lot of communities do now. And then they had survey questions, real quick survey questions on the website that people could just fill in and answer a question. They did um, the traditional things, 
like uh, public meetings and stakeholder interviews and um, things like that. They um, one thing that I like is they did some traditional options and added a little extra meat to it. So they had a, a public meeting to launch or to talk about the comprehensive plan and to hear from the community what their values are, what was important to them. But before they started asking them, they gave them some education and context. So they had speakers, like a speaker series. A lot of communities do that, and you may have done that before. And it kind of gets people thinking in a, maybe a different frame of mind than they were when they came in the door originally. And so they would start off with the speaker and then do little round table exercises so that more people felt comfortable talking. You know, in this kind of setting, I might be a little intimidated to come up in front of all these people and say much, unless I'm pretty upset. And you don't want just that feedback, you want all the other feedback. Um, so they did lots of interactive kinds of things, lots of um, sort of easier ways for people to, um, to participate. They also, frankly, we've been saying this for years, it's just hard to do, uh, besides free food babysitting, you know, to get the younger families, if you can um, create uh, an atmosphere where they can be engaged and still kind of keep their eye on their kids, that makes it a lot easier for younger families to participate. Um, and then they said the, the big thing they did is they went to the people. They went to the grocery store. They went to the library. They went to the bars. They went to the coffee shops. They went to the thrift stores. They went to where all the people were, in addition to the um, public event where you have your zoom, you know, they, they, uh, where you have like the, the tractors and the fire trucks and all that stuff that people have been doing. And so, you know, the more you can do that, and some fun things that people have been doing, and I think even Yampa Valley's been doing forever, figuring out ways to get, um, you know, a sort of value statements from people, either with a chalkboard or a whiteboard and photos, or little postcards that people can mail in or hang up on the wall to talk about what they love about Route County, what they want to protect about Route County. There's lots of ways to get real quick feedback from people. Um, Manitou Springs did a pretty neat thing when they updated their plan. They sent out, they had a pretty big um, mail email list. They set up all kinds of different, so did, so did this group in, I think, Adams County. They set up all kinds of different stakeholder groups and subcommittees that focused on different areas and different subjects. And so once a week they would email out um, a different question, just one question, and they would just, it made it so easy for people to just quickly answer that one question. So they got a lot of really interesting feedback that way too. Um, here's some more uh, that I'll let you read. We talked about some of them. Um, but that communication plan is a really good point. Um, making sure that people understand a few things. Why it, how it impacts them, why it matters, what's at stake. Like just thinking of ways to make it relevant to them is really important. You know, the driving force, the rounding cry, whatever it is, it's gonna get people out and understand how to participate in a meaningful way. And then communicate to them how the plan process is going to be. All right, we're gonna break this up into three phases. And we're gonna have a website. And at this phase, we're gonna get this information. And at this phase, we're gonna make these decisions. And at this phase, here's how you're gonna be able, and it, all the way through the process, tell people how every point they're gonna be able to give you input and feedback. That 
planning, um, communications part of the planning is really important. And the accountability, making sure that they realize that you, you know, this on this example on the screen, that you did go to have 25 committee meetings and 46 personal interviews. Because there will be those people, and I'm sure you've seen them already, come to all kinds of different meetings, that will come into the last meeting where you're ready to finally adopt your plan after, let's say, a year and a half, and they'll say, no one ever asked me. I don't understand. You guys just did this in such a hurry. Right? Have you ever had that happen? <coughs> Never. Never. You don't have that. Everyone has that. And so, um, you know, making sure that you're really getting that out there and then telling people how you did, how you did engage folks. Um, and then the, the one I didn't cover I think is good is sort of the meeting in a box concept. <coughs> if you can get, you know, there's only so many of you and so many consultants if you decide, decide to hire a consultant. Um, the more sort of champions you can get that will help bring the message out and get feedback from their groups, um, that just extends your resources. So if you can sort of enable people to go do that, that's helpful. Um, we can talk about public engagement a little bit more as a group, or I can finish up and then... Why don't you finish up and then, because I think there's okay. a lot of questions floating about. All right, so we talked about this. This was the context setting slide that just says, all right, before you even start your plan, let's be on the same page about why are you doing it. Why? Just because it's time? Because it's been a long time? Um, there are, there's more to it than that. And looking at the data and figuring out what have you already accomplished in your current plan and what's missing based on the projections and what's coming, that's a good place to start. Um, and then coming up with a plan for the plan, a communications plan for the plan can be very helpful. Um, so we've talked about this a little bit. This is sort of an overview of how you create a comp plan, but it's different for every community. Different consultants will have different approaches, um, and different communities like to take different approaches. You can break this up, but generally, you do want to get your information and your data first so that you're informed. Because um, a lot of people think they know exactly everything about the county because they've lived here their whole lives. They might be under some very um, wrong assumptions. And so that data sharing is really important for people. Um, and then really take the time to identify the issues and the challenges and the opportunities that you have in the county. Develop that vision. Get specific with your goals and your objectives and your strategies. How are you going to meet those goals? Get very specific and have some kind of implementation plan. And then monitor and update it over time. The more you monitor and update it, especially planning commission, I think that's a good role for you guys. Check in on that comp plan every year and see, is it still, is it still uh, doing its job? Is there more that needs to be added or changed? Um, and make that recommendation to the board. Um, all right, working with consultants, we can cover this a little bit maybe. Mm -hmm. um, we talked about the plan for the plan. It's really important to, for consultants to know what it is you expect, um, how much public engagement do you want, um, you know, what are your main goals and outcomes that you want to see. So uh, without being too prescriptive, give them the room to come up with creative approaches, it's still important for them to have a good sense for where you're going. Um, to have a clear and complete RFP is your best communication tool, but you can follow that up with a pre-submittal meeting. 
And I think it's helpful in some cases to communicate very clearly and openly what is it that you like about your current plan that you don't want to lose in the update? And then maybe what's missing so that they're clear and they, you don't lose ground. Um, and then some general tips that you probably already know working with consultants and other projects. You don't want to relinquish too much control and then just tell them how much you hate it at the end. But you also don't want to micromanage. And I, you know, I think we've heard a lot of stories at the state about planning commissions that like to review the comp plan by committee, like here, page by page. And that's a really painful and long, tedious way to do it. Um, so what we recommend is, and you can do it however you need to do it, really. But what we recommend is that you um, spend time going through it and then give it to your project manager at the staff level and let them come back to you with the discussion points where you didn't maybe all agree or you had conflicting edits. Um, and, you know, again, strong project manager is really important. Um, think about and clearly communicate how many check-ins do you want? How do you want to receive feedback? How strict will you be about timelines? How much time do you have to get edits to them and vice versa? Um, and then talk to them about public engagement, get their ideas, and if you're wanting to um, take on some of that on your own, talk to them about what makes sense for them to do and what makes sense for you to do. And again, we've, APA Colorado has a consultant directory on their website. <coughs> Post your RFP there. I know we've got some consultants in the room. They may also want to um, chime in with some additional um, uh, feedback if that's something that you want. But I think that's really most of the comments I had. So we can open it up to a discussion among the planning commission. And any questions? Commissioners? Questions for Andy? One initial question I think we had as a group was how often should a county like Brown County be revising its master plan? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, um, the general sort of standard for most communities is every five years you look at your plan and evaluate, is it time to update it? Some communities change and grow so fast that they have to do it more often than five years. In some communities, they look at it every five and go, yep, still good. Um, and so it, it's hard to say because it depends on how much change you've had and how much you've accomplished. Because your comp plan really should be kind of a, it should include a work plan element too, in a sense. So it probably depends also on how much you've gotten done or you feel like you've accomplished from those strategies you said you were going to take in the plan. If you haven't gone through that, maybe I should you. I would add to that also that, you know, our plan is maybe a little different than some that it doesn't include population projections and a future land use map. You know, and so it was kind of, you know, more built for the long haul than something that was more of a, you know, 5, 10, even 15 year snapshot. You know what I mean? And so there was less information based on lack of. Uh, future land use map uh, to be outdated. Um, <clears throat> at one point in your presentation, you talked about a municipality or a county, I guess, that had done a, call it a preliminary survey. Mm -hmm. do you, did they do that in anticipation of creating a new plan 
or updating an existing? Do you recall? You know, so many communities do surveys um, in between plans to launch plans. If you think about it this way, how many people are going to be involved in your comp plan process? How many people are going to come to the meetings, answer the email questions, write down their value statements on the chalkboard? Hopefully a lot, but it's still going to be a small percentage really right. when it comes down to it. The survey is a really nice way to try to expand that voice a little bit. Um, so I think it can be. It's not always the right decision, and I don't know enough about what you've done lately. But it can be a really good thing to do before your comp plan. Give some guidance. I mean, I'll, I'll put words. Well, I won't put words in your mouth. But it almost occurs to me that, at least in this case or our case. It might have value to the extent it actually could save money. I mean, it, it help, would help us, I think, decide and focus on specifically what it is we really want to change. Not even change, but add or update. It's true. Because I think the plan itself is probably pretty strong, pretty good. Mm -hmm. But what we're struggling with is trying to figure out, okay, what do we need to update it or upgrade it? It may be, and I think we all agree that we need to rely on the public input I'd have a concern about getting public input. Somebody said it earlier, I think that's going to be an issue. It, but it, this is it, a way maybe to get them to input. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I think surveys can be really helpful, but they have some limiting factors. Design of a good survey is challenging. Um, but there are people out there that are experts at it that can advise you. You can look at examples and be thoughtful about what you're asking and why you're asking it. Um, and then the other thing is, that the other limiting factor is, I'm filling out the survey based on what I know right now in my universe. Um, and so I personally think the bad thing about uh, using a survey um, for too much, of, you don't want to use it as a substitute for that sort of public engagement and education, and then coming to agreement after you have some understanding about how complex and related the issues are coming to some agreement about what the county is going to support as far as policies go. So it does, I think you're right, it can give you some hints as to what the community is expecting that they're not getting or you know how happy they are or not with certain things, um, what some of their priorities are, how those line up with the long-range planning that you're doing now. Um, but yeah, it, I think that's probably, maybe we can even have a longer discussion about it. Right. But you're right, I think it can be illuminating for sure. And I don't know if Greg or Rick, if you have more you want to add in about the value of surveys, but yeah. They're always good. <laughs> okay, I put them on the spot, I shouldn't do that. <laughs> Oops, I'm sorry. Uh, but as far as an update or overhaul, it, it almost um, it doesn't matter. But the survey doesn't matter. You I just thought maybe it was. A, I just thought maybe it was an opportunity to help us focus. Yeah, I think you're right. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't suggest that a preliminary survey or initial survey would be only thing that we run with. No, there would be have to be community oh, sure. engagement. But this would provide kind of the basis from which you could go mm -hmm. move forward on. Yeah, that's true. It's a good way to kick off, and you know, it's a great way to communicate back to the community what the, everybody else thinks. Because right. you know, we're all in our own little narrow perspective. 
Andy, I don't know if you or Cindy might know the population of Larimer County. I do. I looked it up. Believe it's or not. Hold on. It's 344,000. What is it? 344,000. Just a little bit more than Ralph. I looked it up. What percentage responded? Didn't I see this afternoon one of your slides from Larimer County? There was 3,600. Responses. Oh, yes. right. So, as a factor of the greater population, yeah. well, percentage. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm trying to provide a little bit of context in my head here. Uh, as presented, you know, it seems like Larimer County was a huge success, and they loved their plan and all those things. But I mean, if we ended up with one percent of the population around county, we'd have what two hundred and fifty people. Yeah, I mean, so you're, and I don't know how far to take this, but you're making a plan based upon 1%. Mm -hmm. Oh. Well, or 1% in that response. There could have been more, of course, but in, in the slide. Yeah, I see what you're saying. You're right. I mean, that as even the best response rate on a survey is not enough at all. To give you a clear picture of what. But let's drop survey, Andy. Just say oh, community engagement at all. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, so I mean that's the, that's the challenge that every community has, and and it drives planners nuts. Yeah, um, you, you I mean, across the state with all the plans and so forth that you've seen, and and people have came to you and, mm -hmm. and you've assisted. Is it? 10%? Is it 50%? Um, I, I don't know. You know, I'm not even sure. I'd have to I'd have to go ask around and find out. But it's super small. But, you know, the other thing is, I mean, it would be great if you could reach everybody in the county. Um, no one has the time or money to do that. But it's something. It's, it's giving people who at least care enough to take the time to answer a survey or white, write on a whiteboard or come to a meeting, an opportunity to be heard. They're the people that are gonna to come to your public hearings. They're gonna come when it's time to update your land use regulations and so on. So, you know, the more you can do with, there's all kinds of strategies if you wanna spend the time and resources on it to kind of bump that number up, but, um, I don't think it's a reason to not to not do it. You still got to kind of give it your all and, and try to check in with the community as much as you can. But That's I, what I plan on doing. Yeah. yeah, I hear you. It's like it's sort of discouraging. Like, well, I would, I would be discouraged. In other words, yeah. when, when this thing was all done, and you know, we heard through the entire outreach of a thousand people in this county, I'd be disappointed. Because that's not the point. I mean, we're trying mm -hmm. to say this is your plan, this is your county. Right. What do you like and what don't you like? And to to only have a sampling of of one percent is brain damage. It, it, it's not so we need to try harder. Right? It's what? So we need to try harder to do that. You know, when you reach out to the public, what are those mechanisms? Just try harder to do that. I wouldn't let that discourage us from going forward. And, uh, Ray just asked me uh, what do I see as 
and the drivers for us to need to do an update of our, of our master plan or create a comprehensive plan is it's, it's some of the big picture items that are economic to our region that we need to face. One is what's going to happen with coal production in Ralph County. And if coal production declines as the only provider of coal to our power plant, what happens to the power plant? And then what happens if we have continued uh, growth due to tourism? And you know, what, what is our plan uh, for all that? And I think that's to hear from the public about all those things, I think is pretty critical for us. And I think you'll get you pose those questions and you'll get more feedback. The other thing I'll throw out is I think sometimes the smaller communities that are a little more tightly woven get better results, get better engagement. You've got a pretty strong community cohesion here, it seems like to me, from what I've seen and heard over the years, maybe more than some of the bigger <coughs> metro areas, but... There's, I mean, there are just, we could go on and on about all the other certain tips and tricks. If you get the school kids involved, you'll reach a ton more people, exponentially. There was, I don't remember which community, but some community had the kids, high school kids, I think it was, and college kids, present to the board or the community at a community meeting, present um, some, I don't remember now if it was design or value statements or something like that. And of course, I mean, if my kids, I'm coming to you in a meeting, right? It's my kid, and you know, maybe grandma might come. I mean, you do, you, there are ways to get more people in the region a little deeper, so. Yeah, I wouldn't let like, you get discouraged. Yeah, thanks, Rick, go ahead. Um, Rick Garcia, the executive director of the Department of Local Affairs. I have a comment to, to point out of it. It's gonna come from my previous role as an elected City Council and uh, the Planning Commission, you are the brain trust. I mean, it's what, it's what, how you lead this discussion, this process. You're appointed to this process simply because you have some experience or background in, in this arena. You're going to get feedback from uh, the community. Uh, it's often not going to be at the level maybe you desire. But if you put a controversial item out of consideration, there'll be people lined up out the door that want to speak in largely in opposition. Or if you put something out that's going to be favorable to a lot of people, you might get uh, a similar number. That's how you get the increase. But ultimately, it's the commission, the elected county commissioners, that are going to implement a policy. That's, that's when the rubber meets the road, at least from my perspective. And uh, that's when the public hearing is required by law. And that's when you're going to have the ultimate, uh, that's the group that's going to make the ultimate decision. But uh, I wouldn't worry so much about you got to ask for engagement and you're going to get some, maybe some robust, some meeting, maybe not so, I know you But uh, ultimately, it's the elected county commissioners that uh, have uh, the authority to implement the policy. So that, I think that's more of a perspective from a, a former elected for about eight years sitting on the city council again to a city council. So start with the pot, start some rumors. Get some I was just going to say, we'll start, you know, we're going to open up a coal mine in Elk River, and then when the people walk out, we just get <laughs> But now that we have you. <laughs> 
Yeah, we've got lots of headlines like that. I was thinking of gravel pits and the pot shops. There you go. Short-term rentals. There's all kinds of things. Any other questions for Andy? Commissioners? Public? Yes. Hi, Jerry Albers. I'm on the Board of Adjustments, but I also have uh, some interface with the basin implementation plan. And I noticed you guys talked a lot about water. And I didn't know if you guys had some tie-in or some regular feedback from what they're doing, looking at the AMPA, and how that may affect whatever you guys want to do. Because they're fairly progressed and seem to have a pretty ambitious plan. Um, I know I put it on the list simply because a significant portion of the counties over-appropriated. Yeah. And I mean, that's surfaced in development questions that have come before us, and it seemed to me that we all need to address that in the master plan. Yeah, well, I, I guess my my comment is that they seem to be doing a lot of work, and I didn't know if you guys have a vehicle to be pulling that work into what you're looking at, if you see what I'm saying. I do, yeah. Okay. And that's, a, that's a really good point, and I think there's other Entities and things going out in the county where people are working on, you know, in this case, water. But I, I think that would be advantageous to be able to pull in that body of knowledge and that work that's already been done, rather than go off, you know, somewhere else. Point taken. I just think the two biggest hooks we have is water. For one, I'm personally working through one right now, and it's, it's unbelievable how complicated it's gotten, how difficult. And I think we can bring a lot of people with that, because that is the challenge for any growth anywhere in the county. Uh, and the other one's affordable housing, and they're actually tied in together. You know, it's getting so expensive to try to access water in rural Route County. It's an affordable housing challenge. Right. Yeah. Tom? We still have the ongoing recreation and trail planning that's going on that's happening with the U.S. Forest Service, and now a, a, an effort to look at that trail planning you know, throughout the whole county rather than just uh, uh, you know, rabbit ears to Mad Agreed. Um, there was another one that we were talking about. Oh, the, under the mineral resources heading, the existing master plan is pretty soft on oil and gas. We can all sit here and debate, you know, whether it will resurrect itself and at what point in time if it does. But I think we all thought that maybe that needs to be a little bit more focused on, particularly given the experience that we've had. And then try to tie that into the new legislation, which I'm not sure we even understand how that's going to impact us. Nobody does. Mm -hmm. And I feel like. <laughs> Any other questions or comments? Okay. Very good. We're going to go on. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, I was going to say, are we done? With this? I think so. Um. I mean, I have some comments that I'm going to maybe direct towards staff. Um, number one, 
I'd like to see the balance of, first of all, I'd like to see the entire commission, all the commissioners get, if they don't have copies of the slides. But let's do it, I think everybody else, we're all computer literate, right? It reads a lot better in PDF form on that screen than it does on paper. So either do the PDFs to everybody or print it out full size. That's probably PowerPoint, not PDF. I think it's PDF, actually. I read it in PDF. So I'd like that to all the commissioners, and particularly those that aren't here this evening. Um, the other direction I'd like to maybe send them some kind of notice. I, I think we all need to spend some time rereading the master plan one more time. And we all, as commissioners, need to put a list together of what we think, in addition to the list that's already out there. If there are other points that we think belong or need to be addressed in the master plan, then I would recommend that staff gather those and we have a special workshop just to go through that. Um, whether, and I did try and I've talked about this too, if it can be done on a normally scheduled meeting, fine. If not, let's do it on an off Thursday. I mean, I think we're at a critical point in terms of trying to figure out where we want to go. It's this plan the plan approach. And part of that plan the plan is what do we see missing? What do we see that needs to be changed? I mean, we've got to start with the 14 bullets that y'all put together. But I'm not sure that's a finite included list. I think I would, um, if you, if I may, you may um, go back to Andy's slide talking about the three parts. You know, the vision, the strategy. Or the, what's the middle one? The vision, the strategies, and the tools. Um, and to be thinking about all of, all of those. Sure. Um, and. Um, and not just individual items in the master plan that maybe are more in the tools category or the strategy category, but, but really thinking about how we're going to get through all three of those pieces. Okay. Chad, your writing, does it make sense? Yes. Perfect. I always panic. <laughs> Commissioner's comments. The only thought I had was when you were discussing a special type meeting or agenda item on a regular Thursday. And then I don't know if Beth's comment superseded that. <laughs> In other words, more work being done. I took that to mean like a committee level before. It came back to... Are you asking me that question? Yeah. You know, I think all I'm really... I don't know the answer, um, so I apologize for that. I think um, being careful to not have the conclusion of what we think needs to happen before we've done the public engagement process, and that doesn't necessarily mean that list doesn't have value, but I question whether it's the starting point or not from that perspective of what is it we're really trying to do here, and if if that list gives us the right starting point. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, in my head, I'm just trying to yeah. see which comes first, the 
But do they, does one need to have to come first? Or can they sort of move? I don't think they need to move in conjunction. Yeah. Especially with the low response rate, the comparatively, right, we're not going to get the entire county to respond. You know, as Andy was mentioning, we move forward. Well, so then let me interject. Because I'll lose my train of thought. So we still are then in anticipation of a another agenda item for planning commission. Yes. Okay. And then at that meeting is where every member of planning commission should have read the master plan again. Yep. And written down their concerns or issues yep. or questions. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that's moving ahead at the same time as the public outreach is being formulated or perhaps underway. Um, but I guess I'm wondering also if the commissioners would give us their same thoughts regarding their feelings as to where the shortcomings in or where they, not where they want to go, <laughs> what they want to see in the master plan. Because if we're going to sit here and go through, hopefully we would get a decent response from planning commission and questions and the 14 list that you have, the 14 items on the list you have. Um, but we would also be able to grasp the commissioner's thoughts. So once yeah. again, hopefully we're moving on the same path. I agree. So add that to the list, I didn't say it that way. Yep. And then to respond to the, the outreach thing, I view that as, this might be overly simplistic, but I think we as commissioners have more experience and we deal with the master plan on a regular basis. Theoretically, every other Thursday, theoretically. So we know what we run into in terms of issues. We know what we run into in terms of problems. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, what I'm suggesting here. From an outreach standpoint, that's a whole different ballgame. Now we're going to the public and asking them, what is it that you expect? What do you think? That's different. It could be the same. I think so. It's going to be different. But that's why I say it goes on simultaneously? Yeah. Concurrently? Well, I mean, kind of two different animals, sort of, in my head. I certainly agree with you. I don't think that what is added to a list by planning commission or board has any effect on what we hear from the public. Totally agree. No. No. So I said, I'm coming in from a commissioner standpoint. We're theoretically experienced. We deal with the plan on a day in and day out basis. The public doesn't. That's a different animal to deal with. I think Andy brought up a really good point to that um, end as well, which is that that the public engagement piece isn't necessarily just a town hall, but there's an educational component to that as well. You know, we're going to explain to you a little bit about how this works and why it works this way, and then get your feedback once you have some of that sure. background information. Yeah. So, some of these pieces, I think, could be a yeah. good starting point for that as well. Yeah, I mean, you could do a headline to the, to the public. We think water is an issue. No, we know water is an issue. We propose to deal with it. What are your thoughts? I mean, that maybe, yeah, absolutely. Dan, yeah, if I might, Steve, um, I would just recommend that you maybe direct staff as staff make a recommendation that we come back with a process for you, a framework maybe for moving it forward. 
I think your your suggestions are valid, and you know, trying to understand the issues within the plan or, or the opportunities within the, the current plan and, and what a future one might look like. But I think we're kind of spinning on that that issue where it may be helpful from a, an engagement standpoint, from you know the uh, the how do we move forward from here to you know think about the next steps. Uh, maybe we can offer a recommendation and uh, a framework for doing that. In the sure. Next. Okay. Yeah. That works. I mean, I also Good job recognize. Direction. I mean, I also recognize there's a little bit of a time crunch. Is there not for the funding thing? Yes. So there'll be some creative writing going on between now and then. Do we have an expectation for a time frame at this point? I mean, if we're going to discussed? apply to the Dola funding, I mean, the ap that application is due August first. So we have to discuss right. whether that is a realistic time frame or not. It's just until next year. Like next next round of the next round, I believe, is in April. December. After that, December. December then April. Okay, so there are more coming okay. up. And our, when we began this conversation, it was let's have a conversation, assuming we're going to try to make this August first deadline. And if we're not ready for the August first deadline, we'll at least have gotten the ball rolling and could have discussion for the next. Yeah, I haven't seen the grant application, but it would seem to me that August first is probably not realistic. Um, it depends what we need to put in it. Well, when's our next meeting? Today is the 18th. We're not going to have another meeting before. Well, so this would be an outline for public engagement. I think funding more so. Am I thinking right? Yeah, the application think is in No, it's, it would be an overview of the entire plan. It, you know, what Dole offers is 50% funding. You know, so essentially, we would, as a community, we would have half the money for a plan update, and they would. Uh, match that in theory, we hope. Um, we can ask Rick really nicely. Um, and you know, the idea I think is that we have a solid idea as to how we would execute that, that plan. Um, not necessarily all the details of you know the elements and, and some of the, the topics that we would hit, but I think the idea of engagement and the idea of you know a process to do that. That's why I guess I'm giving myself that assignment because my head is already there. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're about, never mind. I <laughs> yeah. I think Dan and Chad were going to be writing this application no matter what we did. So, yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm going to August 1st. Yep. Just keep in mind that there's a lot of local governments, correct me if I'm wrong, that have consultants and have funding before they even get to where we're at. You know, because we're at least down the road a little bit, is trying to get focus on the scope for the project without a consultant, without spending money. Rick, is there a requirement of the time in which that money needs to be spent? Yeah, you have to get under contract in a certain amount of time, but at, you're you're on a fine timeline. Okay. You can work with Craig to get. To I just don't want to be under the gun yeah. for anything. So the award wouldn't happen until I think December, and so you know that our county budget for next year wouldn't kick in until January. So. I mean, because there's more time to go than we thought. Okay, yes. yeah, never mind. <laughs> that being the case, I feel good about it. I think it makes sense. Yeah, yep. yep. yes, I agree. And that's always been the intention. I mean, if if through trying to get this ready to go, we're not ready in August, then we'll push back and work on the December deadline. I think is okay. Where we're at. I like the words we're in better shape than we really think we are. That's always that's kind of nice. 
Do we have anything else that we need to go through at this point in time? You know what you're going to do. Christy, you look like you have this. Oh, okay. Do we know if we have everything, um, what's been discussed to this point, to um, meet the requirements for DOLA? Or I don't know if you talked about in the beginning um, the specific elements that need to be included in the plan. Yeah, we did mention that earlier today, and I skipped through it because, frankly, they're not um, tough things for Route County to do. You're already doing them. Were most of them what you put up on the screen um, that you mentioned we already pretty much touched on? Most yeah. Of so, okay. Yeah. I do have one back question for Cindy. Do you ever account for transients? In other words, there's a considerable, what do we call them, seasonal ownerships here. Do you account for that at all, ever? No. And how would you? I mean, no, no, they're not. It's our population estimates and then the projections also are residence-based. And so we use the same definition of residence as the census. So, Right. Like year-round permanent residence period, we're done. Correct. Okay. Correct. Okay. So yes, your seasonal population is likely much higher. Than oh yeah. Than yeah. Resident population. <laughs> oh yeah. Our yeah. <laughs> daily population. <laughs> okay. Any other questions or comments? Otherwise, I think we can wrap it up. I think it would be beneficial to uh, get minutes of the. Steering committee meetings and distribute those more than any commission. Yeah, I almost was going to do that before this and ran out of time. So, yes, absolutely. All right, do the yeah. Yeah. They're notes. They're notes, they're not minutes, by the way. <laughs> so, so, you say tomato, I say tomato, <laughs> tomato, tomato. I'm an attorney. Bill, I'm looking for avocados. <laughs> um, the steering committee. We're looking at uh, what, when are we going to start, and moving into the different areas, Oak Creek, Yampa, and I started already with some of the things that Andy was talking about. College. It's another whole community that just has not been confronted so far. And I made a lot of copies, not, not a few, but a lot of copies, and I've been sitting down with all the shakers and movers of the college, and I got a lot of input back, and it just started out small, but just the survey idea. If, if you were to look at these 15 bullet points and add what you thought about number two, or number three, pop up to you, what... Uh, what was it the college? Because these guys are not just in Steamboat. I mean, they're out throughout the whole county. And we had a lot of points out there, and I got a lot of good suggestions. And as it got bigger and bigger, I'm up to about 30 copies going out. And we've got 150 employees and teachers. They kind of brought it to fruition. If we could just add that to, as one of the cities that the committee could bring sure. it up there. Yeah. I went ahead and already booked the auditorium, as a matter of fact, permission from the CEO up there. 
she said that uh, we could move into the auditorium and the best time would be in the middle of August if we get that far this fast. Uh, and they even gave me a time and we've got a maintenance guy that could set everything up up there. Very good. But uh, so far I'm passing those out and if we get all of the uh, the teachers and adjuncts and maintenance or all of the uh, staff together to go to this, they asked also if it would be appropriate if we could get students to be involved with this, which Andy brought up, I thought. We had a lot of professors up there, but we need to bring our, our kids in on this too, as to what direction, because they're all living here, and they, they all, the, the ideas were really adverse, that not one of them was going in a single different direction. We had uh, wildfire, we had water, we had a good one, natural gas to south route, uh, transportation's a big one, and the housing thing. So those, they were just filling in the blanks as we went, but those are some of the comments I got from the college. Are you going to share those comments with us? They're going to return those on the papers, ah, okay. and if we could have a meeting up there, they, a lot of one or two of attend. So the energy's out there in the college. Any other comments? We'll move to adjourn. Oh, very good. Thanks, Brian. You look for that. I didn't know for sure. Is there a second? Sorry. Thank you. We're adjourned. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That's the theme. Sweet. And administrators uh, you, Oh, I'm sorry. We have administrators before. Oh, well, thank you. That is a big no. Elizabeth is good to have. We still get her. We still get her. Good. But then, right. Chad's still speaking for a minute. Go ahead. Thank you, Bill, for coming. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wasn't meant to kick you out. I just wanted to say thank you. Oh, thank you for having me. <laughs> Sorry about that, Chad.
but as it turns out, the county attorney's not here, and uh, and attendance is low. So we've got not even a quorum, a board of adjustment, and just barely the planning commission. So the county attorney offered, especially for the newer members, you know, that haven't had that training before, you know, that, that uh, we're willing to provide training during business hours, you know, so we can set something up. Staff will be in contact. And we can go in and talk with the county attorney. Um, you know, we can uh, do all of that, you know, as you come in. Because uh, I know most of you have heard my dog and pony show on, you know, uh, staff report makeup, motion making, and Robert Rules order. So basically, if you want me to cover that portion, I'd be more than happy to do that tonight. Or just, sorry, you guys, I know you guys came down to hear everything, but considering the circumstances, we could just reschedule individually or or we have to do that to some extent anyway. So I guess the question is, would you like me to do my portion tonight? And I guess I'd put that same question out to our board of adjustment members. Actually, Chad, uh, yes, I'm a little bit irritated at the process. I don't know why we were scheduled after I for one Okay. All right. So just, just to clarify, say again. Just, just to clarify, because this portion was after the Dola presentation? Yeah. That okay. Next time schedule on a different different evening. Okay, well what, one of the problems that we have is on on more regularly scheduled meetings where we have current planning application to take through, you know, that we get the citizens in and out as soon as possible. You know, like tonight, you know, we had four people, you know, two of them part of the presentation that drove up from Denver and they're coming back tonight also. You know, and typically the you know the, the legislative or the administrative conversations are the last on the agenda. Um, we could schedule yeah, we've tried to schedule just training evenings in the past, but those get the lowest attendance. So this approach that we're taking now is, when can you meet with us, you know, not as a body, but as an individual? And so that's, because we're having a hard time, you know, there's a lot of people that we have to schedule, and maybe this will work best. That, that we'll be more flexible to accommodate you. Can I, can I ask a question or make a suggestion? Is there not a possibility to just do online training here? This is, you know, this is everybody has to be doing the same thing, whether we're talking about Brown County or Washington, D.C. or whatever. Is there not just an online training course that you can send to us and say, here it is, here's, here's what you got to do and why? Well, I, I guess we could look into that, but I know in talking with the county attorney that it seems to be that a lot of the value that comes from these training sessions are actually in the Q&A after those. How long is your um, Robert's Rules? I'm up for it now. 
We're here. Okay. All right. Is that right? Think. Summary up front. 
in the Board of Adjustment applications, you know, we will include the five criteria. The applicant's narrative is broken down, cut pasted to address specifically each one of those, and then obviously the, the staff comment, you know, for each one of those as well. The issues for discussion, you know, typically those come up when there's, you know, we, we try and get everything to the best of our ability resolved before it gets to either one of the two bodies. But if there's a lingering issue or staff feels that there are problems in complying with plans and policies, uh, we will bring those up as, as issues for discussion. You know, with the BOA where your decision is final, uh, planning commission it is oftentimes the recommending body. And even on those times when you guys make the final decision, it could be appealed to the board of just to the board of county commissioners. And and I, I brought this up with the planning commission a few years ago that there was some frustration on the board that there were too many lingering issues that had you know surfaced, too many things for the board to work out that they felt should have taken place at the planning commission. That was really the big emphasis for creating those issues for discussion just to make sure that the Board of County Commissioners received the full set of minutes. And then including those in the Board of Adjustment packets, it just put more, again, it gave more importance, um, you know, under the spotlight of those of the five criteria that may not be, um, you know, clear or there could be compliance issues with. Um, Again, the Board of Adjustment directed recommendation only on those five issues. Uh, already talked about the motion. Recommended findings of fact. You know, that's why you approve or deny. You know, the Board of Adjustment, it's the same five findings of fact. <coughs> the rationale why the Board of Adjustment agrees that each one of the five <coughs> is approved or not. I mean, it, it's a very narrow focus that you guys deal with. Whereas the um, planning commission, again, with the 30 types of applications that you guys can see, why should you approve or deny? I mean, it, there's, I'd say the one consistent on each one of the applications is just the compliance with sections blank of the zoning subdivision regulations or subarea plans, master plan. Um, but we have seen some that, that go beyond that, you know, and so, you know, staff will always try and come up with that rationale to assist you why we should be approved, denied. But again, they're just suggestions and something to make the meetings go a little, a little easier. And then the conditions of approval, again, after staff goes through uh, the application, uh, we've got templates for every one of our applications that include typical conditions of approval, and then we will craft any additional or site-specific conditions you know, that add to those templates because um, we really would, you know, we try and cover everything, but I know that drafting conditions on the fly can sometimes be difficult, and um, so we try and get you as far down that road as we can. You know, it is kind of a goal um, by the time on the planning commission side that these applications get to the board of county commissioners. Best case scenario, the board doesn't mess with the conditions of approval or create new ones on the fly. So again, by listing those issues for discussion. We can vet these thoroughly by the time they get to the board. Um, in the past, I can remember some gravel pit applications where the PC packets were 60 pages long, sometimes longer. Bill, do you remember some of those? Mm -hmm. Troy? Um, 
because of the information we can put online, especially because modems, you know, broadband is here, let's put it that way, that usually um, bandwidth isn't a problem and we can access large documents online that we don't have to put some of the technical reports that we used to in the planning commission staff reports. Um, but And so we mentioned now that we'll give maybe summaries of let's say a, a hydrologic report, but let you guys know that if you want to view the full report that you can see that online. So that's really come a long way with streamlining staff reports, but at the same time providing information if you uh, if you want to look it up. Uh, the supplemental information presented at the hearing, the OA and Planning Commission both get this, that's you know, we, we have a timeline to submit in, or to receive information from the public. It's part of the advertisement, the legal notice, but it isn't a hard cutoff. It's mainly the cutoff and when that information can be presented in the staff report. So that's why a lot of times when you guys get to the meetings, you'll have something in front of your place already because it came in after that deadline. Um, that's, I wish it was avoidable, but just part of the public hearing process. Uh, and, and staff reports are also evolving. You know, it's kind of interesting to look back at how they looked 20 years ago, and it kind of seems Stone Age, and I'm sure 20 years from now, the ones we were working on now will seem like Stone Age. So if you guys ever have any suggestions for improvement, hey, you know, this would have been more clear, staff would have included this, call us at any time, and, and let us know, you know, what your ideas are for improvement. Um, because every now and then we'll check in with uh, usually the chairs, you know, the Board of County Commissioners, Planning Commissioner, or Board of Adjustments, and uh, and make sure that the staff reports are as good as they can be. Um, get motions on um, page one of the staff report. They can be modified, obviously. What we put in there is just uh, just a recommendation to get something to make it easier for you guys. And for those of you that haven't made motions, um, when the chair calls for a motion and it's an easy one, that's the best way to get a few under your belt and get practice. Is a, I've got a couple stories about you know some of the junior members that have tried to make their first motion on controversial applications and have them die because of lack of a second. There's no reason what they're talking about. So, anyways, um, practice on the easy ones would be my advice. Parliamentary procedure. Uh, these are the little bit of Robert's rules that I have. Uh, and then I made a couple copies of some information that I pulled off of line. I'd be happy to, for anybody that doesn't have that, give you one of these or um, email you one. <coughs> papers. But, yeah, that's, that's uh, Brigadier General Henry Martin Robert, Robert's Rules of Order. And, and he was, he volunteered to, to chair a meeting and he was very embarrassed, you know, that the meeting went as bad as it did because he couldn't find any guidelines or rules. And so he came up with his own. And I don't remember, maybe Civil War era, and, and Robert's rules have stood largely in Texas and some applications over the years. <coughs> yeah, but as the name, you know, I, I thought it was interesting that parliamentary you know, of, of Parliament, English right. Parliament, and, and so yeah. you've got something that may have been built for English Parliament, but it's kind of the standard for even what we do. So I've got the book, if you guys are interested in reading it, 
and it goes far beyond. I have the book too. What we do. So you pretty much take what's there, so you don't have to start from zero, and 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 pick and choose, you know, for for your, your purpose. And it, it is a set of rule, rules, and it's sometimes more like guidelines because it's again it, it just helps to assist, you know, the conduct of the meeting that allows for everyone to be heard and to make decisions without confusion. Um, you know, I've had very, you know, been part of very successful meetings over the years that don't strongly adhere to Robert's rules, and everything's fine. And you know, but at the, you know, going into these meetings, you know, it's the chair, you know, that decides the format for these hearings. Um, Let's see, that is just another one, real quick, and this won't take too long. Again, just some of the information that I've got online. But basically, is, is pretty basic. Um, you know, some, we don't go through all of these. You know, the, the example of our business, obviously, it's streamlined for our needs. Um, motions, you know, a big part of Robert's rules, um, but we try and streamline that as well. You know, and if there's ever any question on these things, definitely, guys. Um, give me a call. You know, we can have to walk you through some of these, or at least give you a link to some of these websites. Um, okay. Even things like these types of motions that we usually don't get involved in. Those. It's just approved, denied, table. Um, you know, that all of the motions that we typically deal with are listed in the staff reports as options, and I really can't think of you know any time. That the decision from one of our land use bodies is, is varied from what's in the staff report. Yeah. I guess there was one time, for you guys that have been around a while in Planning Commission, I'm sure you've heard this from me before, but when I was working down at the Front Range, we had a city council decision to decide where the location of the new town hall was going to be. And there were three locations and they were all kind of split evenly with city council approval and two of them looked pretty good one of them was kind of weak so one of the supporters of, of one of the good options said I move to narrow narrow our selection by choosing basically mine and the weaker one <laughs> and so he got his support from his guys he got support from the weaker one and the other one that was his main challenger, we took it off the table with that motion. Oh. And I'm like, that was slick. And then, and then when the final decision came down, of course the guys that just got you know voted out were going to vote for the better of the two options. And I was, I was pretty impressed by that motion. A little underhanded, but it worked out great, and we ended up with a good town hall. Um, a question relative to. Um, the votes on motions. It's been the practice, at least based on what I've been seeing, that if there is a nay, we ask that commissioner to explain the nay. Yes. Is that that's not mandatory? Just protocol. Something we've been doing. 
Correct. And, and I would say that it, it just helps, um, you know, um, create a complete record. Mm -hmm. You know, so hopefully a board of adjustment decision wouldn't get challenged. But, you know, it, again, it helps for that record. Planning Commission, especially when it's a recommendation or if it's something that would appeal to the board, you know, I think that it's very important to hear, you know, all sides. Or think it's important for the board to hear all sides. And, you know, my favorite story there is when the Planning Commission was recommending um, a decision on the, the coal supply rail spur for the Hayden Station, it passed eight to one, but the guy that, that was the one that was descending was because he was adamant, maybe he supported the project, but he was adamant about a separated grade crossing on Canada Road 27. And all of the other eight members didn't think it was that big of a deal. What do we got out there right now? Separated grade crossing. You know, so it's a good chance to, you know, sure. it, goes, it goes beyond this meeting. You just have the Board of County Commissioners understand because, you know, during roundtable discussion, you're not only lobbying your fellow planning commission members to vote like you, you're kind of getting, you know, the board to do the same thing. So I think that it's, it's a very important piece of I'm not disagreeing. I'm just I'm curious how they came around. So are we supposed to rise and make a motion? Oh, I, yeah, I think, yeah, I think Joe's going Actually, I think I've watched cities of other cities where the ultimate part of the bridge So the one that I'll scroll down to, which comes up quite a bit, and like I said, I can definitely email, I'll email this out in there, everybody. There's some Q&A. Has to do with friendly amendments. Oh yeah. Oh. Those get confusing. Yeah, they do. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to go over all this stuff with you guys. But it's, you know, it, it's good refresher. You know, and it's good to read through. Like I said, I'll, I'll email it up. You are going to email it? Yes, I will. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and all of these are, are uh, hot links, too, with the blue writing. So you can click back to their website and um, get more detail. So, you know, I guess I'm stopping some of these. Look, is it true that the president chair and can going to break a tie. No, it's just prerogative. It's kind of the short version of that. <coughs> we don't have any physio members, so I'm not worried about that one. Um, this one's basically, once you have the quorum established and a member exits, can you continue the meeting? And no, you have to have the quorum there all the time. Uh, BOA, yeah, Tegan has a question to explain BOA quorum. You know, the Planning Commission, you know, there are nine members, two alternates, and there's a quorum of five. And right. if there's five people there, then it's a quorum, and you just go on like normal. With the Board of Adjustment, um, the quorum is five, and there are two alternates, but you can proceed with four members, but it has to be a unanimous decision. So 
I don't know if you guys have encountered that yet, but if an applicant shows up and for some reason we've only got four, you know, that we will give that option to the uh, to the applicant that basically at any time throughout the meeting you can request that it stay. So usually what happens is they continue, roundtable comes up, and if it looks like one or more might turn it down. You can read the audience. Let's let's say it was. Um, determining the results of the vote. Yeah, I think that one usually doesn't come up because we're just simple majority as far as the decisions, but yeah, I'll get into that a little bit as far as the amendments. Um, abstention. You know what? I, I really, since I've been here in Route County working with Board of Adjustments and Planning Commission, I haven't had anybody in state. You know, because basically you guys are put in this position for your opinion. And um, it, it, and if there's a situation where you need to abstain, you probably should just recuse yourself. You know, so, but in, and that comes up every now and then also. So, voter of confidence, that's really not an issue. Whoa, 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 whoa. Friendly amendment, that's the one. Question Okay, you know, as I'm going to be this, on occasion, a motion is being tabled, or excuse me, debated. <laughs> Someone will get up and offer what he or she terms as a friendly amendment to the motion. The maker of the original motion will accept the amendment, and the chair will treat the motion as amended. This is wrong. You know, once the motion has been stated by the chair, it is no longer the property of the mover, but of the assembly. Any amendment, friendly or otherwise, must be adopted by the full body, either by a vote or unanimous consent. So, so the, the first part of that. And, and I've discussed this you know, a couple times, you know, throughout the years, is that there could be a motion that is seconded that gets twisted to a point where the original motion maker or whoever makes a second doesn't even vote for it anymore. You know, and and if you think about getting something, getting a motion to a position where it's either going to pass or fail, what difference does it make who makes the motion in a second? You know, so I, I think that, that that first part is pretty important that that it's 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 the that the BOA or the planning commission owns it once it's been second, not necessarily who made it in the second. Now that last sentence that must be adopted by the full body either by a vote or unanimous consent. I, I, personally, I don't agree with that, and, and I think it should be the majority. That's what I'm voting. But it has to be. That's all it's saying. It's saying majority. No, no, no. It's no. by either by a vote, which would be majority, or right. by unanimous consent, without a vote. So. So you. So so, 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 so oftentimes, yeah, that's. Yeah, so if you do call for, you know, like, even informal, everybody okay with that? And if there's one person that's not, they usually don't take the vote, it's usually when it's split. Right. So, so all I'm saying is, I, I think the summary is, as long as you have the majority of planning commission in either a vote or just saying, yeah, okay, 
Which is essentially consent. Yeah. That's consent. Well, the key word is unanimous consent. No, it doesn't say oh. Yeah, it does say unanimous. Agreed. Yeah. But that means everybody is okay. Well, but that's my... Yeah, are you guys all okay with this? Yep. Everybody nods their head, that's unanimous. Yes. <laughs> my issue's always been, but do you have to... But do you have to get consent on that amendment before you take it to the vote... Before you take the, the original motion to the vote, the right? amendment supersedes the motion. Correct. That amendment okay. needs to be decided once that's decided. And then that becomes part of the motion that's then voted. Correct. Yes. But do you have to restate it? Yes, Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. But I've been confused once or twice on that too. <coughs> if the motion is let's go to the store, and somebody says I propose an amendment, let's go to the store at eight thirty. Eight thirty is voted on first. First. And then the vote is on the motion. Should we go to the store date there? Gotcha. Sorry about that confusion. I saw It's okay. But if you do not have um, unanimous consent or a majority vote, the original motion stands without the amendment. Correct. Right. That's correct. Yep. So then we're back to using the example. We're going to the store. We just don't know when. Right. Yeah. Done. I guess it would make more sense if those two were. Well, read the next sentence. Is it proper for the chair to ask? If no objection is made, the chair may declare the amendment adopted. Even if one member objects. Where are you reading that? The next paragraph. However, the amendment is subject to debate and vote like any other, regardless whether it's a proposer calls it friendly. Uh, okay. So you could have dissent. It doesn't have to be unanimous. Right. No, that would be the vote part. Right. It'd be what? That would be the vote part. It always makes more sense to say, if you see that, everybody okay with that? Like, yeah. Yes. Then you move on. Right. Some people are like, no. Then you vote on it. Then they got to vote on it. But even if one member objects, the maker of the original endorses its adoption. Last sentence. And you guys always ask, is that okay with the... Well, and it's been what, the way it works. Yes, yeah, so a friendly amendment doesn't have to have the motion maker to endorse it. I guess the reality of life, we've never really gotten to the very end of it. Principally, everybody agrees to the amendment. Although I can think of an issue. I agree. I have, saying, we have one. It's, uh, it's, it's a friendly amendment. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not only really changing the substance right. of your motion. It's friendly, but... I want to add. It, regardless of what they call it, it's saying whether it's friendly or, or it's whatever, it's an amendment. It's a right. And treat it as such. Got it. Okay. So, so you hear somebody say friendly amendment, it's something that has no meaning. It's just an amendment. We just right. don't want to hug. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to fight with you, Troy. It's friendly. We want to hug. <laughs> Watch right. Crystal clear. <laughs> yeah. Question 9 looks more interesting. <laughs> <laughs> no, because... Stop for a minute. That's right. I've had an ongoing discussion with Troy about that. About what? 
conflict, conflict of interest. Oh. Because Chris is here. And I don't view that as a conflict. And I've told him that. And I know that I have been sending in on most of the more recent ones. It was the early ones I Yeah, that's true. Out. But you always disclose that in any case. Right. Because Chris Burchard playing Troy's wife, so, so, so Troy, Troy does disclose when I assign the case to Chris that they have not talked about it, and he knows the same information as everybody else on planning. We don't have proxy votes. No, it's a good thing. And again, it's a proxy vote. How can you? How can there be an official vote if you haven't? If you're not at the meeting. You know, I think there's some, maybe the next one is, uh, no, it's not. Well, I mean, we do, we do proxies in the HOA, but that's a different animal. You assign your vote to whomever you trust to vote your proxy. Yes. But the, I don't know, you can't even have a proxy. Well, I think you get the question every now and then. Well, actually, I'm, I'm on vacation, but I got some downtime. Can I just call in and... You know, that's not even appropriate because what is up on the screen, you know, you just got the audio, you don't have the video part, you don't have some of the exchanges, and, and so that's, that, that doesn't work. But actually, there's a state statute that related to the boards of education that the state did pass a statute that you could be, yes, do not have to physically be in the room. Well, that's the way there's a lot of boards, but I think it's different when there's somebody Graphics. Right, but this this board could do it. She mentioned local rule. It'd be up to this board or this right. county to do it. It wouldn't be governed by the state. But as far as the, all the 173 boards of education, you can have an absentee m member sitting in another country voting by, via Skype. Well, that happens all the time, though, like at um, the Housing Authority or the Airport Commission or the various other commissions, they allow people to participate electronically. Do they like it? I don't. I don't either. I mean, but it sometimes, you know. It's the only way you get a quorum. Yeah, I get it. Oh, okay. So I guess I'll just. There's a couple left. Can you scroll through these and see if you guys have any questions about them? And occasionally, the question 11 will come up. You know, if it's late at night and you guys really can't get past an item, you know, then it's, you know, sometimes it's a vote. How do we feel? And it's usually regarding the condition of approval, so we've already covered that. Keep going. Yeah. Session in here, the chair voted to find out what the procedure was, and it was contested by the audience at that time. The procedure was not to, and they wanted to know what the executive session was that went on here. John was in charge, 
And he and I were saying, well, what is our next step? So the executive session came out that what we were just examining what our procedure was. We explained that to the audience when we came back into it. <laughs> we didn't know which way to go. <laughs> so, Chad, there's something in here about Jeff did this the other day, withdrew a motion. Is there a specific procedure? Because let's say, had that been second? No. Okay, so you just made it prior to the second. No, no, excuse me. Uh, you make a motion, there must be a second before discussion can begin. We then began discussion, and when it became apparent that my motion needed some correcting, I withdrew the motion and made a new motion. But after it was seconded? Yes. Yes, okay. the second, the second is the green light to proceed with discussion. Okay, but the, second, a vote on. but the second has no input on your withdrawal. Can you do that? I wonder. Because it belongs to the body. If you, if you follow the logic up above, once you've made the motion, he seconded it, it belongs to the body. Which was just... Well, right, and, and so my recollection, though, is that I then said, okay, well, I moved to withdraw that. Are you guys good with that? We did. <laughs> and then it was... So we agreed to it? That it was really... So in the, in the question, you were getting consent from the second maker. It was from the from the body. But if the second didn't agree, could you withdraw? I, uh, yes, if the majority of the belongs to the body. Yeah, on the boat. I don't know why they wouldn't though, because they. They liked my motion to begin with, and then I realized it needed some tweaking. It was a cluster. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I fixed the cluster. Better than making a bunch of amendments. Yeah. New word, cluster. That's why it was a good motion. I want to see the answer to number 20 with Troy's comment. <laughs> Shoot him. It depends. Stop, stop. stop. <laughs> Obviously, that's not covered under your bylaws. All right, that's it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you